Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of April 21st, 2022, including Microsoft is considering putting ads in their games, Amy Hennig is getting another crack at Star Wars game, Hideo Kojima's rumored Xbox game is reportedly still in development, and more. Welcome to episode 150 of the Xbox On podcast. Stop. Just want to remind you guys that in this day in Xbox history, in the year 2016, the Far Cry 4 plus Far Cry Primal bundle download version for Xbox One was released worldwide. There's your this day in gaming history fact of the week. But guys, back to what I said a second ago, episode 150 of the podcast Thank you for being here, whether it's your first time, 150th time, or anywhere in between those numbers. I appreciate you being here today for this podcast. I appreciate all of you guys encouraging and allowing me to get this far ahead with this stupid fucking show. So thank you, as always. Really greatly appreciate the support. But to be honest, we, we're not really doing anything special for the uh, 150th episode. It's just, it's just another week in the, in the world of Xbox, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that's uh, sarcasm in case you didn't catch on. But guys... I don't want to sit here and, and, and opine over my years spent as an Xbox podcaster, a.k.a. a guy who talks to a microphone alone in his one-bedroom apartment in his boxers. What I actually came to do was tell you about the latest developments in the world of Xbox, and we got quite a juicy week of news. Honestly, I feel like ever since the Xbox Series X like really start ramping up to its release cycle in like the late summer or fall of of 2020. I feel like there really hasn't been such a thing as a slow news week. I mean, sure we might have had like one or two post Christmas type slow news weeks, but it's really been, you know, that it's just been rolling with all the the sexy news drops every week. This person's getting arrested. This game's getting released. This game is getting arrested for being released. All this kind of crazy shit constantly happening, but I, hey, I'm grateful for it. It gives us something to talk about other than what I've been eating, which we will get to. So don't you worry about that. But guys, uh, without any further ado, let's open our podcast with our first segment as we do each and every week, which is our updates, corrections, if applicable, and generally there aren't any because I'm goddamn perfect and I don't need to correct myself, as well as stories of mild amusement, things of that nature. So we've got quite a handful at the top of the show I'd like to uh, you can go over in a brief but some... Um, Brief but somewhat uh, uh, indulgent pace, if uh, if such a speed exists. Oh, but first, I actually do have a quick reminder I, I need to throw out there. For those of you, and, and normally I don't like to plug myself at the top of the show because we're here to talk about Xbox, but for those of you who do follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash lightningextreme, every Monday we do, we do our stream at Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. However, this Monday, there will be no stream because I'm actually going out of town for a couple nights, so... No stream this this Monday night. I just want to make the announcement in the place where most ears are 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 likely to hear it. But don't don't fret because to make up for it, I will actually be streaming this Sunday, so a day earlier 
Um, if you are interested, this Sunday we will be streaming twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. We'll be playing, probably probably wrapping up our Sonic Let's Play of Sonic Generations. Otherwise, probably just be playing some Halo together. But uh, that announcement out of the way. Thank you for listening. Thank you for indulging me for a quick second. Let's get back into our mild amusement stories or updates. Guys, you know how it goes every week. we got to talk about Activision because this fucking Activision thing won't stop developing. I don't want to talk about it, but it keeps happening. So <sighs> this week... Uh, in, in our latest development on the ongoing Activision scandal pertaining to all the allegations and um, litigations and, of course, the acquisition between Microsoft and uh, Activision or acquisition of Activision by Microsoft. Here, here's our latest update. GamesIndustry.biz relays that Activision Blizzard's CEO Bobby Kotick, you know him, you don't love him, uh, is reportedly expected to leave his post after Microsoft Microsoft's act acquisition of the publisher is finalized but the publisher has said no such arrangements have been made as spotted by axios steven totillo activision on friday filed an updated proxy statement with the securities and exchange commission regarding the merger quote no discussion or negotiation regarding the post-closing employment arrangements with microsoft occurred between microsoft and mr kodak prior to the approval and execution of the merger agreement and the transactions contemplated thereby or have occupied subsequent to such approval and execution through the date hereof the company said in an april 15th filing well obviously it's a filing because no one fucking talks that way but to break it down in layman's terms all it really means is yeah i know a lot of you guys have been speculating and and kind of assuming that part of the agreement because we've even seen some some assumptive reporting especially earlier in the announcement of this acquisition that the plan is, as soon as the acquisition is a closed deal, hands have been shaken, spit has been exchanged, whatnot has to be done. Bobby Kotick is to GTFO, and Activision will now be under Phil Spencer's reigning control as the CEO of gaming for Microsoft. However, this basically confirms, uh-uh, those discussions haven't happened. Arrangements haven't been made. Final decisions have not been made. Stop assuming you all suck, and you're a bunch of Tomba 2 fans, you fucking weebs. That's that's what this quote says. That's not my words. This it, it just keeps getting better and better, right? Because you would think you would think at the very least, and I, I know, I know, I know. I, again, just this is just a glossy little quick update. We're not going to dwell on it too much because we've had the conversation back and forth a million times in the past. But you would think, at the very least, what with Microsoft practically enabling this workplace culture by way of of utilizing this whole opportunity to get in on Activision at a, at a good price at a at an opportune time, you would think at the very least, they would be like, hey, yo, yo, the stipulation is, as soon as this shit is done and Activision is ours, this asshole's out of the picture. You would think that is at least the one stipulation they could guarantee. I understand that I don't understand how these backroom dealings go, how these deals are made, and what kinds of things can be guaranteed up front. But that would be, at, at the very least, considering what a objective piece of shit Bobby Kodak has been proven and revealed to be, that that would be like a, the number one priority was like, hey, if we're, if we're going to allow our really good workplace reputation over at Microsoft and at Xbox to be sullied or somewhat tainted by the association of Activision and Blizzard, at the very least, we want the root of the evil out the fucking doors the second the deal is done. But that conversation apparently hasn't even happened, or at least not in a public way, uh, a way in which Activision is willing to talk about. Now, it's, now it's possible this conversation absolutely has happened, and that Activision, as a company that is uh, publicly traded and trying to protect their stock value, their market value, is is desperately trying to get people to not speculate and discuss this because 
we've seen the developments in recent weeks where the U.S. Senate and other bodies are trying to kind of encourage that this deal not be uh, successfully approved and that maybe that this is not something we should want. And so it, it's possible that there are people at Activision right now going, okay, we need to try and operate and run this company as if this deal is not going to go through because if worst case scenario comes and this deal is not approved, we have a super battered and bruised image with our company and this could destroy our market value or stock prices. And so maybe this is just all a cover up, a way of buttoning up the kind of situation and be like, yo, 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 stop thinking about us as a Microsoft company. Nothing is official yet. Um, nothing is, because even though a lot of us as consumers and fans are like, yeah, get Bobby the fuck out of here, right? Because it's the moralistically right thing to do. The reality is a lot of a lot of investors and stockholders want Bobby Kotick there because the reason they're invested in Activision is because money, and the reason Activision has money and has been financially successful, like it or not, is because Bobby Kotick's actually done a very good job of running this business and, and, and making it a money-churning machine. Now, you don't have to like the way he's done it. You don't have to like the games they make or the fact that it's all just fucking Call of Duty. That's fine. But you can't deny that this man has made this publisher fucking massive he's grown massive ip he's made massive profits time and time again so it's quite possible that the people who are only in this for the money are you know they have some sort of vested interest in protecting the image protecting the brand and potentially even protecting the rot that is at the core of all this bullshit because he could potentially be your key to financial success i don't know so there's that i'm not i'm not going to dwell on it anymore as our activision update of the week i promise you the rest of the week is a lot more of a uh, refreshing news take. It's not retreading the same three stories. We got really exciting stuff. Guys, we got some some good Sega news, some good Hideo Kojima news, some good Star Wars news. I'm not even going to be negative about Star Wars. I'm going to be positive about it. We got lots of good shit, so, so, so don't get salty, okay? But next up, let's actually completely change the mood. I want to do a feel-good story. This isn't me trying to, like, look for a fluff piece. This is, like, something, like, just morally good good happened in the world of gaming this week and I'm happy that we get to discuss it because it's usually like one person touched another person or this person uh, uh, made a, a game with cheap labor and that cheap labor was like ow and that's like the story all the time but this is like a good story where it's like hey guy did the good thing so VGC relays Twisted Metal I know it's a PlayStation game but shut up Twisted Metal game creator David Jaffe has claimed that he rejected an offer from gaming conglomerate Tencent to direct a game worth $100 million in budget because of his views on the Chinese government. Speaking on the Sacred Symbols Plus podcast, which, uh, full disclosure, is my favorite podcast of all time. I love the host. Uh, my girlfriend refers to him, the, the host, Colin Moriarty, as my boyfriend because I've been listening to him so religiously for the past decade of my life. But anyway, um, speaking on the Sacred Symbols Plus podcast, which is a paywall, it's a Patreon show, um, VGC transcribed basically and said, the director of the ongoing God of War franchise, which he no longer works on, but he created the God of War franchise, discussed how he felt uncomfortable dealing with the company after receiving an offer from him. Quote, I had a $100 million deal, he claimed. I was courted by a Chinese company, and I said, no, thank you, because you're Tencent, and I want nothing to do with you. It was bad because it was Western Tencent, and it was a Western guy that I respect that was calling me, and I wasn't trying to shame the guy. I hope he's got thick enough skin, and he's been an executive in the big business way long enough uh, than I have, or way longer than I have, but I, 
But I was just like, man, I don't want to do business with a company like that, with a government like that. Later in the podcast, as Moriarty and Jaffe discussed the increase in money being invested in studios across the industry, Jaffe elaborated on some of his reasons of why he turned the Tencent deal down. Quote, stop killing people, he said. Again, people will be like, America's hands aren't clean. No, they're not clean at all. But we're also not, you know, we all have a system that if we actually give a shit, we can make a change. In China, you just get picked up off the streets if you go online and say something bad about the police or the government or anything. And who knows when they'll see you again. That's not even mentioning if you're a fucking Uyghur. So, of course, we've talked about Tencent ad nauseum on the show. We've talked about the pressure they put in, in, not even just the games industry, but in media. Oh, my God, you want to talk about fucking the the CCP and their pressure on Disney and Hollywood and shit like that with their, like, hey, uh, make the black character smaller on the Star Wars poster because the Chinese market doesn't want black people. And, uh, hey, don't mention, uh, uh, don't mention Taiwan's existence uh, in your fucking movie or video game and, and scrub it from the new um, Top Gun movie. You know, that kind of shit. We talk about this all the time and how they're just kind of the fucking worst. And obviously Tencent is one of the big conglomerates that is buying up the games industry at an alarming rate, much like how we're seeing Microsoft massively consolidate. We're seeing Embracer Group. Tencent is probably the most concerning of, of these groups. Um, actually, I would say by far is the most concerning group because an absurdly uncomfortable amount of their workforce is uh, is is registered Chinese Communist Party members, um, which is just not not something you really want to see have a financial and creative control over uh, video games, especially in, in the Western world where we have a little bit more of a personal freedom to speak and creatively express ourselves. So I don't know. We just see the story so often these days where it's like, Oh, this Western company sold out to Tencent. Oh, this 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 European company sold out to Tencent. This American company sold out to Tencent. Canadian company sold out to Tencent. And it's just like in a world where Microsoft, Embracer Group, other less sketchy Chinese uh, companies like like NetEase and all these other and all these other businesses are just like, hey, money, we want to buy you. They're buying anything and everything with a fucking heartbeat that knows how to make a video game. You would think that. Some of these people would have enough moralistic skin to be like, no, I don't want to I don't want to fucking support you because a massive amount of your leadership and, and your personnel uh, support fucking silencing uh, protesting and, and the the internment and murder of Uyghur Muslims and the denial of uh, statehood for people from <laughs> Tibet and Taiwan. And you, you would think this stuff maybe matters, right? In a Western world where we're also socially cognizant of, you know, our own social issues that we fight for, especially here in Western countries, predominantly pertaining to things like LGBT rights and and racial divide and things like that. You would think maybe our populace would be a little bit more concerned or or a little bit sympathetic to like uh, the the people of China who who suffer under an oppressive government where in this country you can't even tweet shit about your government without, you know, risking being a, a disappeared person. And what we see, regardless, is is an industry that is so quick to sell out because money, and that's all that fucking matters. So it's just really admirable and refreshing to see someone who's incredibly important to this industry, who has an incredible history. I mean, this is the father of Twisted Metal and God of War, two of PlayStation's most notable franchises, one of which is still to this day a massively huge success. Obviously, he hasn't had a hand in the God of War franchise, I think, since like 3 or Ascension. It's been a while since he's worked on God of War. But 
he is a massive influence, a massively huge part of PlayStation success and the games industry's uh, success as a whole. And to just see him be able to be like, hey, I, I, I don't care about your money. I don't, I don't want to fucking be a part of this is really refreshing and, and inspiring. You you hope to see more of this, right? I, I would think that if you are a medium to large size developer or development team, and you know that right now the ind- games industry is in a place where everyone wants to buy everyone, everyone wants to consolidate. You would think that if someone like Tencent were to come up to you and be like, hey, we want to buy you or give you X amount of dollars to make a game for us, you would think that you might be like, well, there's enough money going around the industry um, to where you offering to buy us validates our worth, and we're just going to take that offer and now use it to leverage ourselves and shop ourselves to other buyers who have cleaner hands. You would think. But no, you, instead you get fucking websites like what is it, like that dance bite or whatever that that uh, literally it's a it's a video games media website owned by Tencent that's like constantly it's very like Kotaku like it's constantly just like talking about like representation in video games bitching and moaning about the new Harry Potter game because of J.K. Rowling. Meanwhile, they're literally owned by a company that murders. Chinese Muslims and and disappears people for having political differences with the Chinese government and shit like that because money. Just want to put that out there. This is a really to me it's a it's it's one of those stories that tells you the world's not completely fucked, you know, that there is some sanity and that sometimes people have enough dignity to not be completely sold out and and to have their morals bought out over money. Now, of course, David Jaffe already probably a somewhat wealthy man for uh, the line of work he's been in and in his contributions to the industry. He also elaborated later on his Twitter account about how another big reason for him doing this was because he's enjoying his newer career these days of not working in games so much as doing YouTube content and commentating and things like that. And so obviously it's not like 100% of this decision was made on like I had the moral high ground, but we know at least part of this decision was made with that knowledge in hand and that there was a, a moralistic qualm here that he had to that kind of deal with and reconcile with in order to make this decision. And I just think that is awesome. All right, let's get off that topic and talk more about video games in a direct sense. So we got, uh, so this is kind of a big one for Xbox. Uh, not a name we talk about a lot, but an important figure in the Xbox ecosystem nonetheless. VGC relays that the head of research and design at Xbox has left the company after nearly 20 years. Chris Novak posted a message on his LinkedIn page announcing this past week that his last day at Microsoft had commenced, saying, quote, I have resigned from Xbox and Microsoft and my last days today. Uh, that was on Tuesday. He wrote, I started at Xbox in November of 2002, and after nearly 20 years, I know that news can either come as a surprise or as expected. It's a mix of both. Although Novak didn't go into detail on the reasons for his departure, he explained that he had been planning on leaving for a few years due to factors outside of Xbox, saying, quote, I found the best things I've seen or done in games have been sparked from other areas, and I want to lean into that in a big way, end quote. Novak joined the Xbox team in November of 2002, where he was a design director for seven years, working on projects like Project Gotham Racing 2, 3, 4, Crackdown, in the first Forza Motorsports. In September of 2009, he became a design architect for Microsoft Studios, where he was part of the initial design team of HoloLens. He was also a first-party design representative and worked on such games as Quantum Break, Sunset Overdrive, and Rise, Son of Rome. Since October of 2016, Novak has been the head of Xbox Research and Design, where he led work on improving and evolving the user experience across all of Microsoft's gaming channels. So this is a huge member to leave, but I, I gotta be honest, I read his I, I read his proper like departure announcement, and everything by just what he says and the way in which it's written and, and, and just kind of 
what is presented, what little we have to go off of, really just strikes me as like, hey, I've had a long and fruitful career here with Xbox. I'm ready for the next thing. And based on his whole extended quote, uh, which we didn't really get into here about what's kind of drawing, pulling him away, he doesn't specify where he's going, but he does kind of make it clear that it's like, hey, I love gaming, I love Xbox, I love what this has offered me, but I have other interests and passions, and I realize some of my highest moments in the games industry were inspired by things outside of gaming, and I want to just go explore some other avenues, which is, it's a, it's a respectable thing. You think 20 years in this, in this company, plus you're a person with more interests and hobbies than just, I like video games. It, it makes sense that your your interest gets pulled and your enthusiasm for something maybe starts to wane a little bit as you as you realize you're getting older and there are other aspirations and things you'd like to do with your life, you know? So I don't have much to say to this because I, re- I really don't think this is like, a, ooh, this means this, or he's leaving because that went wrong. I, th- I think this is simply a, hey, my time has come. I really enjoyed it, and I'm moving on to the next thing. So I really just want to read this announcement more to say, hey, this is happening. And, of course, we, we wish Chris uh, all the best on his future endeavors. Thank you for your time serving at Xbox. We, uh, we love Xbox, so we appreciate all you've done to help invigorate and, and contribute to this brand of gaming where we've all found our unique identities and voice. It sounds like a, doesn't that sound like something I, like a PR thing I wrote? Anyway, next up guys, <laughs> getting back into the shit a little bit, but it's a new shit. VGC relays some, uh, some Rockstar games related news in which Rockstar has seemingly removed several jokes from Grand Theft Auto 5's Xbox Series X next gen release that had previously been deemed transphobic by members of the community. As first spotted on Reddit, a Captain Space uh, Toy Interstellar transgender figure that had previously hung in the office of the arcade has now been replaced with another action figure. I have no idea what the fuck that is because I, I guess I never played the game in that much detail, but in the previous release for the Xbox 360 and the Xbox One, the phrase interchangeable genitalia can be seen at the bottom of the action figure as obviously you know, a little poke, a little joke, but maybe seen as a little insensitive. So the recent release of the current gen version of the game has removed the figure altogether and moves other uh, figures around so that the uh, removal is also less notable or less noticeable rather. Rockstar also has disabled several NPCs from spawning outside certain in-game areas, such as the drag queen model, which would spawn outside of the cockatoos an in-game club rockstar has yet to comment on any of the changes but there are also some other changes about changing some dial some background dialogue and things like that i i gotta be honest this i feel like and i didn't see much outrage about it i just saw the, the story really that's you know whatever generally i have i have strong stances about going back and altering games um for like a politically correct kind of uh, reason actually speaking of rockstar there was the example i think this was only like a year ago where um, on the Grand Theft Auto, I want to say it was Vice City remake that happened last year, um, they removed this whole like side character from from a series of side quests where his whole character was that he was like a crazy gung ho like guns and beer American like mullet American flag flying kind of guy who had like Confederate flags and his whole thing was that he was like a crazy caricature joke of like of, like, diehard, like, white nationalism, right? And that was kind of the joke of his character. And Grand Theft Auto, a game series that is literally all about satirizing American culture, you think, well, context kind of matters because that character didn't exist to celebrate and encourage, you know, white nationalism or anything like that. It was it was because it's, it's trying to make a joke about certain crazy people that exist because that's what Grand Theft Auto does. And so there was a lot of hullabaloo about that when that happened last year. And I was kind of on the side of like, 
that shit should be able to remain in the game because I think the storytellers and the, in, in, in the game designers did a good enough job with that to where anyone could play that game and tell this character is not supposed to be endeared and beloved. He's supposed to be a, a, a lame person, a joke of a human, and you're supposed to kind of get the fact that it's 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 a joke and that it's poking fun at these kinds of people, not not encouraging them, rather. Um, but with stuff like this, I, I, I feel like this is less pertinent to the story. This isn't like they removed a line of side quests or they changed the the narrative of the game. It's like they, they took some little gags and jokes and background shit that kind of exists in the game and went, you know what, we, we find this maybe a little too on the nose or a little unsavory and we want to we wanna self-censor. And I don't necessarily, I really don't have a problem moralistically with self-censorship. If you feel like, you know, you've grown past a joke you made in the past or a, a stance you had in the past and now you feel like something you once believed or said or thought is now inappropriate because you change as a human as people do. I feel like there's nothing wrong with wanting to, you know, go back and be like, okay, I don't really agree with this joke anymore. I don't really find it funny. I'm going to go ahead and remove that from my game. That's fine. I respect that. What I don't respect is the whole, like, we're going to quietly remove this and then not own up to it or not address it. Because then it looks like you're trying to hide something. But in the same breath, I also get why you kind of want to be secretive of it. Because if this is something not a lot of people were mindful of or taking notice of to begin with, you might just want to quietly remove it just so you can avoid the inevitable fake outrage that comes with these kinds of stories. So maybe it's a way of being like, it's not that we're afraid to address it. It's that we just don't want to make a thing about it. And then it blows up and becomes a thing because we're talking about it. So they just kind of want to quietly like nip it in the bud before it becomes a whole a whole story, a whole fiasco online. So I don't know. I'm of multiple minds of why they would do it this way and whether or not I agree with it. But generally my stance is, again, it's like it, it's your content. It's your game. If you feel like you want to change something about it, that's your prerogative. It's your it's your product. But in the same breath, it's like once you put this thing out into the world, it's like you, you kind of got to own it. You know, you can you can condemn condemn it and go back on it and be like, listen, I don't agree with this in hindsight, but it is a thing I did and it is a thing we made and put out into this world. And we have to accept and embrace that. That is my preferred approach. But at the same time, if this really is like the developers of the game had a change of heart and have grown past this joke and want to remove it from their product, it's like, it's your thing. Go ahead and do what you want. If it's something like the publisher has made the decision on behalf of the developer or the the, the community is outraged and demands that they change the game over this, that's when I get into the little ter- a little bit of the territory of like, okay, you don't. You guys don't have ownership of it. Well, I guess the publisher does have ownership, but generally it's like, let, let let the creative people do what they want to do. You don't always have to agree with it, but just give them the freedom. So I guess we don't really have enough information to hear here to really know why this did or didn't happen. But I guess the bigger thing is I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't, whatever. Stop playing Grand Theft Auto 5, guys. It's been 10 fucking years. Move on. Play Sonic Unleashed already, okay? All right. Speaking of Halo, our final little small story of the week is um, Halo-related. And uh, this is a little update on something that was happening back in February. So Halo's original composer, Mario Donald, composers, it was Mario Donald and Mike Salvatore, um, have settled a long-running dispute with Microsoft over alleged alleged unpaid royalties. The two said in February that they had sued Microsoft over money they believed that they were owed dating back 20 years. But this past week, O'Donnell said that the pair had come to an agreement with Microsoft saying that they are pleased to have amicably resolved the difference, their differences, he tweeted in the announcement. O'Donnell recently, it sounds like I was saying O'Donnell, O'Donnell recently told Eurogamer that he and Salvatore had sued Microsoft after spending 10 years failing to make headway in discussions with the Xbox maker over the unpaid royalty claims. So it doesn't really specify how they were able to, it, it probably just means Microsoft was like, make this go away, here's money, you know? 
But whatever. It's good to see um, some kind of positive, or at least publicly positive, outcome from this just because our boy Marty, he deserves all the recognition for making what I believe is the top five most iconic scores for a video game in history, I would say. At least top five iconic, most iconic for me, I will say. Yeah. Halo was, listen, say what you want about Halo, but if you try to sit here and deny how iconic Halo's score is, you got a tiny brain, and it's uh, it's dumb. It's a dumb, tiny brain. All right, that's it for all of our updates, developments, stories of mild amusement, corrections, and whatnot. So uh, now you should be warmed up. You should be in the mood of Xbox, even though we talked a little bit about a little bit about everything. But that's whatever. That's what was in the news. I kept some of that spicier topic stuff in that segment because for the main news segment, I want to talk about video games proper. That's what we're going to do. So shut up. But first, before we can get into the proper news, guys, this is Xbox on. We don't just jump into news. We don't just talk Xbox straight from the hip and that's all. We take our time. We talk about what we've been eating. We do comments. We do all this other bullshit. So none. without further ado, for episode 150, let's jump into this week's comments. And you know how it works. You go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. You definitely hit subscribe because we're almost at 1,000 subscribers and I appreciate you guys. And then you leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. You say something nice, like, Jesse, congratulations on 150 episodes. Here's to 150 more. Uh, don't forget to pet your cat and drink ice-cold dew for me. And I'll say thank you. Very sweet. I appreciate the uh, the appreciate the encouragement, and I hope you have a wonderful week. But you could also be a total dickhead, and you could say, Jesse, I hope Microsoft breaks into Marty O'Donnell's house in the middle of the night, steals all his money, and then takes that money and uses it to buy Tencent. And then when they buy Tencent, they will go find David Jaffe and be like, listen, now we own Tencent. Will you please make this game for $100 million? And David Jaffe will be like, nah, I don't want to. And they'll be like, ah, oh, do it, motherfucker. And they'll put a Nerf gun to his head. And they'll be like, fuck, I got to do it. I got to say yes. They got a whole foam dart to my brain cell right now. And then and then they acquire they acquire him. And then I'm like, okay, what are you getting at? What, what does this comment have to do with me? And then you'd be like, oh, and then Microsoft will hire a hitman to kill you, Jesse. And I'll be like... That was a lot of unrelated information just to get to a whole you hope I die kind of thing. But you know what? That's your problem for being kind of dumb like that. I already said you have a small brain, and and now you just proved my point. So fortunately, we didn't get any comments like that. But we did get a comment from Corey Long that said, Happy 150th! Exclamation mark. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. Thank you for all your support over this time. And thank you to all of you who commented in this week and who've commented in the past. This show has been as fun as it has been for me. Because you guys engage, so the more you leave comments and, and, and talk to me, make me feel like I'm not all alone talking to my microphone, my computer screen, the more I feel like, man, I should keep doing this. So if you don't like the podcast, stop enabling me. Speaking of enabling, headhunting Halo. We haven't seen him in a while, but he is back, baby, and he's bigger than ever before, and he wants to talk about, oh, he wants to talk about why he's been gone so long. Headhunting Halo says, Jesse, no, you, you didn't say Jesse, you said Jess. It's Jesse headhunting Halo. I'm so sorry, man. I've been so busy that I'm back to you, sexy beach. And man, does it feel good to listen to the podcast again. I also have another confession. Taco Bell is bringing back Mexican pizza, and I have never tried it. Is it all what it's hyped up to be? Also, season two of Halo Infinite is upon us, and I have been completing a lot of my backlog games. So, that's a plus. Gonna be listening to all the podcasts I've missed. Probably seven. You've missed seven weeks of podcasts headhunting Halo? See you next week, and with the next podcast, much love. Also, Sonic 2 was amazing as well. Headhunting Halo, thank you for writing in. I'm glad you've been attacking your backlog. I don't care how busy your life has been. I don't care that 
your wife just gave birth to your firstborn child and that you were just forcibly moved out of your home and and, and had to find a new place to live because of our ever uh, corrupt and encroaching housing market and collapsing housing market potentially for at least for for families and, and working class Americans. I don't care if you, you tripped on you stepped on a crack and, and you broke your mother's back. I don't give a shit headhunting Halo. Your objective, Spartan, is to listen to this goddamn podcast every fucking Thursday at or after 9 a.m. Eastern Time because that's when it goes live. And then you are to leave a comment telling me about what you've been eating, what you've been playing, how much you enjoyed the podcast. I never want to hear negative feedback ever. But all this, I've been gone seven weeks. In the famous words of Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man circa 2002, I missed the part where that's my problem. Just kidding, headhunting Halo, but I do have to say, confession time, I've also never had the Mexican pizza from Taco Bell, so we, we can explore this menu item together. I know that's kind of salacious news because it's such a beloved classic item, but I have I never gave a shit about trying it. It's only, you know, all the fan backlash about it not existing anymore that's made me even curious to ever have it. But uh, I'm excited to embark on this culinary adventure with you when it comes back. Now, speaking of Sonic 2 movie being amazing, Mr. Miggy writes in and says, Hey, I also watched the Sonic 2 movie, and I recommend it to everyone, but also told them to be a good law-abiding citizen and watch the first movie as well. Now I'm tempted to go buy Sonic Unleashed, maybe with some of that hard Mountain Dew as well. Mr. Miggy, you don't gotta get the hard Mountain Dew, it's not that good. But Sonic Unleashed, oh baby, 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 it's a wild one. That's a song, right? I think you should play Sonic Unleashed. I'm glad you like the movies. Both of them are good. The se- Here's the thing. is Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog 2, its high points are significantly higher than the first movie. But its low points are uh, marginally lower than the first movie's low points. I Like, that wedding scene, like, what the fuck was that? And that fucking da- dance scene in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the tundra... What was that? I understand, you know, a scene for mom and dad if they don't like animated characters. A scene for the little ones if they like Fortnite and dancing. I get it. But most of the movie, ooh, so good. God, I can't, I'm trying to see the second time, maybe this weekend, hopefully. I still can't get over how impressive it is that against the odds, they not only didn't fuck up a Sonic movie, but they successfully made two of them. And the sequel actually builds upon the first one and makes it a better franchise. This is beyond me. You know, I have many criticisms about these movies, but not like in a way where I'm like, oh, these are dumb. Don't watch these. These these are, these are for all intents and purposes. These are fun movies, fun for Sonic fans, fun for families, fun for kids, fun for practically everyone. This is a this is a movie I, genu- I generally would recommend uh, to people who want to be entertained by a movie. It is it is. That good. That is my that is my glowing recommendation. Now, on to the important stuff. Mr. Miggy, please buy Sonic Unleashed. If you've never played it, you owe it to yourself. You probably get it for like ten or fifteen bucks on online or on uh, download from the Xbox Marketplace. And, and here's a here's the deal. If you do not like Sonic Unleashed, two things. One, DM me. I will personally pay you back for the game for not enjoying it on my recommendation. And two, there's something mentally wrong with you. All right. Speaking of Mountain Dew, guys, we gotta go. We gotta back up to the backwash conversation because apparently a few of you had uh, comments on that. First one being from uh, none other than my brother Cronky, who says, "I'll si- <laughs> I'll stay silent no longer. 
you guys are dumb on this backwash argument. Do you really think all backwash sits nicely at the bottom of a bottle? After your first sip, the whole bottle is contaminated. The bottom portion is the same as the middle portion, so not drinking the last bit isn't doing anything for you. The only answer is to stop thinking so goddamn much about your drink and just drink the water or go on with life. And go on with life. Okay, stop. Slow down. Cronky, I don't think anyone was really saying that they won't drink a drink that they've drank because of backwash. I think the idea was, and actually kind of wrong. I, I don't know if you ever learned about like density and in, in, in weight and all that shit, but like more dense objects tend to tend tend to sink. So like if you if if you're eating a Taco Bell Mexican pizza and you know like a a piece of corn tortilla or tomato or whatever gets lodged in your teeth, and then you take a big gulp of your Baja Blast and part of that corn tortilla falls in your Baja Blast, that shit sinks to the bottom. Now, that's a contaminant, not so much a backwash, so I'll give you that. But assuming saliva weighs more than uh, water or soda, that would sink to the bottom, meaning our logic is sound, and yes, the most backwash is on the bottom. That's not the point. The point wasn't necessarily even about you drinking after yourself. The point was always about backwash in general. The idea of someone being like, hey, here's my drink that I've had multiple sips of, and now I'm going to hand over to you so you can try this drink. That's what we're talking about here. If if someone takes a drink out of something, hands it to a second person and says, take a drink out of this, two people are contaminating that drink whether you like it or not. That's what this was all about. More or less, it, it, it's about avoiding someone else's backwash ending up in your body. But I can understand the argument for not wanting to finish even your own personal drink down to the last set because I, I have that, even if it is arbitrary and, and, and unfounded, I agree there is there is a um, irrational fear of just grossness being at the, those final sips of your drink and whether whether it is grounded in science and logic or not I don't care you don't have to finish it that's why we're a free country is because we can be wasteful of beverages and so Cronky I'm going to tell you this now and I'm only going to tell you once know your place you backwards backwash Bill Billy Cronky Way of the Law also chimes in on the subject matter says yo Mr. D Please, Mr. D is my father. You can call me Mr. 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 Mc, Mr. McStream. Hope you're doing well, my guy. It's time to take off your CPU cooler and apply some thermal paste. It's okay. It's been a year since you got that computer, so it definitely needs some new thermal paste on that CPU, and it's impossible not to backwash. I would also like to take this time to state that New World or any other pay-to-play crap from Amazon can suck a big one. Take care. Best wishes. Okay, I, don't, I can't speak to New World again. Because I I haven't played it, I'm not really following it. But Amazon published, damn, what's it called? Not New World. Lost Ark. Lost Ark was published by Amazon and developed by Smilegate. And I do want to get around to playing that game at some point. So stop picking on Amazon games. Because I haven't played them enough yet to determine whether or not you should make fun of them. So way of the Lao. I'm going to tell you this once, and I don't want to repeat myself. You got to wait until I've made, until I've rendered a verdict on this stuff. Before you can go around having opinions, okay? We don't want you doing all this free thinking shit, okay? No more of that. All right, our final comment of the week. We're going back to Cronky. Who wants to vent a little bit about the NFT crypto bullshit happening in the games industry. Where he says, man, publishers need to chill. I'm so tired of the metaverse, the NFTs, the crypto. This crap is not the future. It's a fad, and it's just confusing enough to let people get scammed. I just want to sit down and download a game after... Uh, Download a game or put a disc in and play it. I don't want to buy a link to a PDF. I don't want to use my imagined currency with no backing. And I don't want to be part of an obscure 
uh, future people cannot properly define. I just want to play a freaking video game. I feel like the way these companies see the metaverse is like how people in the 60s thought the future would be with flying cars. The reality will be far more impressive and unexpected and less exciting. Sega needs to keep pumping out Sonic shovelware and Persona games need to leave the dumb ideas to Facebook. Microsoft needs to keep up the subscriptions and quit the idealism. Now, maybe that story should have been read with one of our stories later in the week or later in the news segment, but fuck it, here we are now. And I will say, funny for you to mention the whole 60s flying cars never happened thing. I just started reading a book about that very same thing. So, look at that. Anyway, Cronky, you're right on a lot of levels. It's annoying. But I would I would say really no no rational thinking humans going to even disagree with you. So I, I have no like devil's advocate to, to throw at you. What I want to say is my initial knee-jerk reaction to reading this comment was, you know what would be a perfect solution to all this like because it's always like these douchey bros. It's always like these fucking snapback bros who are like, yeah, drive a fucking souped-up Kia and yeah, vape cigarettes. and all. It's always those guys who want to mansplain crypto to you and tell you, like, you just don't get it, man. I swear, you just don't get it. But oh, Dogecoin's the future. Listen, fucking Elon bros. I got to tell you this once and for all. My knee-jerk reaction is that what we need to do is gather up Round all the NFT crypto bros in the world and all the exploiters from Hollywood and whereabouts that are trying to just scam people their money. Corral them, and then we can lobotomize them. That was my initial idea and hope. But then I realized the way in which these people talk about metaverse and NFTs and crypto, they already sound lobotomized to begin with. So are people basically just being you know, having their brains just like trimmed down and, and being conditioned into basically being robotic slaves to the crypto NFT game? Or is this a real epidemic happening where people are actually being influenced and indoctrinated under this 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 ongoing scam of uh, the future being second life, but with a VR headset on or the US dollar no longer meaning anything, but hey, you got a fucking imaginary coin with a with a meme on it or... Hey, here's a JPEG literally anyone can access and use for free uh, free of charge. But uh, you own it, so get rich. This already sounds like the makings of a lobotomized human to begin with. So, Kronky, I think the bigger thing is now there's a whole mystery. There's a boxcar. What was that book series called? Boxstar? Boxstar? Boxcar Kids? What was that? It was like, it's kind of like Hardy Boys or some shit like that. The little kids and they did a detective mystery. Scooby-Doo. Something like that kind of shit, you know? We, t- we take the kids, we put them on a little mystery, and we say, find out who is lobotomizing all these fucking snapback e-cigarette, Paxson dressing, Kia K5 driving bro douches, and-, and-, and having them just pollute the social environment with this metaverse NFT crypto bullshit. Listen, guys, when I play a game, that's all I got to say about that. Now, that's it for all of our comments and shoutouts and whatnot for this week. Remember, for next week... Don't be a don't be a dumb bitch. Reply. Usually we'd say don't be shy. Reply. But it's episode one fifty, so we're gonna sh- we're gonna shake it up a little bit. Don't be a stupid bitch. Reply. Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Now let's jump into what I've been playing this past week. But before I can tell you about that, I, real quick, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. And you know, we always talk about the the Mountain Dew and the Taco Bell. You know, it's a part of like my it's like my image. It's like my brand. So cute. Oh, that's his that's his brand. 
But the, the the fact of the matter is, I actually really, especially these these days, I really don't eat that much Taco Bell anymore. I, I really have a lot of self discipline. I avoid fast food altogether for the most part, and, I, and honestly, I'm pretty much off soda, with the rare exception of like a sure I'll try a zero sugar Mountain Dew here or there. But I, I yo. I hit up Taco Bell last week for the first time in a long time. Don't tell my girlfriend. She didn't know. I did this in my own time. And I I went to try that steak and Fiesta Fry burrito that I'd seen advertised. And I get to the window. I'm like, yo, you still got that burrito where it's like steak and french fries shoved into a burrito? And, and, and the lady at the window was like, no, we actually don't have that anymore. What we do have is the replacement for it, which is like a steak burrito with french fries in it. And it has a spicy ranch sauce. I'm like... That sounds like the same fucking thing I was just asking for, but whatever. I didn't even question. I was like, give me two of those. God bless. And I, I I, pulled up. I stole the food from her hands. I didn't pay because I have NFTs and I don't need to pay. And then I sped off into the evening sun sunset. And uh, I got to tell you guys, I, I couldn't even make it to my first red light before I, I hastily unwrapped my burrito and bit into that bitch. And this thing is God tier. This is this. I, I, I'm not saying this with any like kind of like hype or exaggeration. This is my genuine feeling. Taco Bell has had some real hit items over the years. You know, they're temporary items. They're always doing some new promotional limited time item. Some of them are great. Some of them are solid. Some of them are eh. They're, they're usually never bad. Most of them are at least solid, right? This one is like 10 out of 10, God tier. The thing is, I always shit on these these fries they do, these uh, whatever, they nacho fiesta fries. I forget what they fucking call them. They suck because they're always mushy and cold, and it's just a bunch of seasoning on a mushy potato. But in the burrito, they work so well because you don't need them to be hot and fresh and crispy like you want a french fry. They can be mushy because it's, it's a burrito. Burrito ingredients are mushy. So you got your tortilla. You got your steak. You got your spicy ranch sauce, which is, I don't know why they call it spicy white ranch. I don't know what ranch isn't white, but they, but it's spicy white ranch. And it's a genuinely spicy sauce. It's not like Taco Bell when they say it's spicy, but it's really mild, mild for super white people. It's like, maybe that's why they call it spicy white ranch is because they want to trick white people into trying spicy food. I don't know, but it's genuinely spicy and delicious. And you get that with the fucking fries, with the seasoning of the fries. You get that potatoey, steaky, yummy. It's 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 like eating a steak. You, you got your meat and potatoes, and it's so damn good. And you got some some tomatoes and lettuce and all the other shit that goes in there. And I, I gotta be honest, this is the best limited time item from Taco Bell I've had in quite a while. I had two of them, and honestly, I would say this is my favorite item I've had Taco Bell since the grilled cheese burrito, which came out in 2019. So. It's been a couple years, but this is a this is one of those items. You know how they say uh, they say uh, walk, don't run. No, this is a run, don't walk. I copied that from this this guy I see on YouTube sometimes. But it, this is genuinely this is a this is a run, don't walk kind of item. I need you all just fucking skip your car, skip the bus, whatever it is you take to get around, and run past that motherfucker all the way to your nearest. I need you to Naruto run. Put them arms behind your back and run as fast as you can to the nearest Taco Bell. Don't even stop to grab your wallet. I'm saying you get one of these these burritos and you eat it so fast because it is so good. Before you know it, it will be gone. But it is worth your time. And I just want to shout out to the, um, I don't even know what it's called. Steak Fiesta Fry Burrito with Spicy Ranch Sauce. Say any combination of words like that into a Taco Bell drive-thru and I'm sure you'll get it. That's all I got to say to that. Worth your time, worth your money. I think it's like 350 or something like that. In this economy... You're not going to find a better deal. 
So what are you waiting for? Go do it. All right, that's it for what I've been eating. But now I got to tell you real quick about what I've been playing because I have been playing video games. In fact, the past two weeks, I finally got out of my funk where I just wasn't getting any gaming time in. I finally played some video games this weekend. I think this was one of those successful gaming... Like, I know I had a good weekend of gaming time when my girlfriend's giving me that look of, like, you've completely neglected me all weekend for your Xbox. That's when I know it's like I finally spent some quality time with my video games. And I, I definitely had a weekend like that. So this weekend, I hit a couple milestones. Halo Infinite, I know it's been a long time coming. I know most of you guys probably hit this milestone in February at the latest. But I finally finished the Battle Pass on Season 1. Rank 100. Fuck you. Almost nothing in that Battle Pass is even worth a damn. All the cosmetics suck. I, I This is something I never even realized I had an issue with on Halo Infinite until, until I finished the Battle Pass. But the customization in this game is such complete ass. Literally almost every single cosmetic in the game is absurdly unappealing. I don't care. The fact that like I can't unlock a color and just have it be accessible to all my all my all my gear. It's like no no no. This color is specific to this gun. This color is specific to this armor set. It's like that's bullshit. And I know they're fixing that. They announced that that's something they're working on addressing. But like I I, I put how many hours like fifty plus hours into the multiplayer to get this um to get this battle pass complete. I don't know how many hours. Maybe more like thirty. I don't know. <laughs> and to think that I did it just because I like Halo and I feel the pressure to complete this battle pass and not because there was actually shit in the battle pass I want to unlock and use on my character is actually sad. And it's telling of everything that's wrong with Halo Infinite. It is a game built, it is, it is an online game built around FOMO and hype and whatever the latest conversation in, in, in online multiplayer is. And it is, and, and, and the weirdest part is, the game at its core has the most important thing, which is a very fun and compelling gameplay loop. And the developers just completely overlook that to monetize and build a shitty progression system around it that completely detracts from that really good gameplay loop. And I know we've obviously talked about this ad nauseum, so I won't dwell on it any longer, but I, I don't know why it took my stupid brain like this many hours of multiplayer to finally acknowledge and, and see that. The unlock system... The battle pass content, the customization of this game, complete dog shit. Like, complete dog shit. So bad. Like I, like, I love Halo. I don't like to be the guy who's like, this game is trash. And like, f like fuck the developers. I hope they die. I I'm not that guy. I never want to be that guy. This is me trying to be as honest, as sincere, as straightforward, and unexaggeratory, if that's even a word, as humanly possible. This is just blatantly what I honestly think about the progression in Halo Infinite. It is complete horseshit. It's so, so bad. The fact that I'm still completely stuck on on my cosmetics, on my Spartan build, on everything, because nothing I unlocked in all 100 tiers of this battle pass was even remotely interesting. Because everything that was even slightly interesting, and not much of it was all that interesting, was paywalled behind like $15, $20 store purchases. That's That's terrible. That's not bad. That's not needs improvement. That is like complete shit. The only other game I've ever really even bothered to fuck with a battle pass in have been Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War and Crossfire X, which everyone objectively hates. That game is hated. But you want to know what? Crossfire X has a way better unlock system than Halo Infinite. And people hate that game. That game has like an aggregate score of like a 25 out of 100. And that game has a better battle pass system, a better unlock system. Call of Duty, everyone hates on it. 
you know, they just keep making it, it's all bullshit. That battle pass is absolutely worth 10 bucks. Great shit in that battle pass. Plus, you can unlock currency so that you can just buy your next battle pass or buy shit from the store. Halo Infinite doesn't have anything like that. You don't get credits. You don't get stuff actually worth customizing your Spartan with. But anyway, I actually had a lot of fun playing Halo. Not playing it on stream, just playing it by myself for fun in my free time. I had a ton of fun with the actual gameplay, the most important part of it all. I love Halo Infinite. I'm pretty excited for Season 2. I'm really excited for all the ways they're going to fix and change this game over time. I'm not going away from Halo Infinite. I'm, I'm glad it exists. I waited for it for so long. And in a lot of ways, this game absolutely hit the mark and, 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 and resonated with me the way I wanted it to. But in other ways, it completely sucks. And this is one of those ways. Speaking of things that suck, last week I mentioned I purchased impulsively Fast and Furious Crossroads because two reasons. One, it was 15 bucks on sale. And two, the game is being delisted in like a few days, actually. As of the time this podcast goes live, I think it's got like a week left before it gets completely delisted from online retailers or from uh, from uh, the Xbox store, rather. So, fuck it. I, I, I like the older Fast and Furious movies. I consider myself a moderate Fast and Furious fan. I love racing games. I love budgety movie tie-in licensed games. Let's see what this thing's about. This game is not nearly as bad as people say it is. It's not a good game, don't get me wrong, but it's not terrible. It's got some decent arcade racing. The campaign's only about four, four and a half hours long. From a gameplay perspective, I stayed thoroughly entertained from start to finish. I had a fun two play session weekend four hour run time with this game i don't regret playing it as a fast and furious fan i i found it to be ex uh interesting as a budgety licensed game fan i found it to be reminiscent of a time i'm very nostalgic for and as a racing game fan i found it to be a middle of the road fun one and done arcade racer that was worth my weekend and is the writing god-awful? Yes. Are the characters, like the new characters that they introduced into the game? Oh my god, it's so fucking bad. Uh, they got, the only cast from the actual movies they got were Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, and Tyrese Gibson. And oh my god, Michelle Rodriguez, she actually does okay. I'll give her props for that. But Tyrese Gibson and, and Vin Diesel, holy shit. These two, especially Vin Diesel. Like, this game is almost worth playing just for how fucking funny and how bad their voice acting is. Like, Vin Diesel literally sounds like he's half asleep reading a script in the VO booth, but, like, not half asleep because he's tired. I mean half asleep because someone drugged this man, and it is so goddamn funny. That that alone is worth, at the very least, a YouTube Let's Play watch. It, it's funny shit, and then, like, the new characters are, you know, whatever. It's a shitty, budgety game. It's They're cringy. My girlfriend and I laughed all fucking weekend because uh, <laughs> one of the characters, it's like, you know, it's like these two new characters and whatever. They meet like Vin Diesel and his crew and they become close with them. It's like, oh, it's cute. It's fun, whatever. And then like one of them, it's kind of revealed throughout the story that like um, she had a rough past because she's gay and she had like kind of run from her family and run from her home life and all that. It's like, okay, that's, you know, that's, that's a compelling story. On paper, that's a compelling story. You could emotionally resonate with a character like that and, and empathize with them. But of course, you know, it's a really poorly written shitty game. So they're just like trying to like do this like cool like representative gay character and they just it's dude it's so funny the the, the line my girlfriend and I laughed about for the entire weekend was um the part in the game where you're in New Orleans and it's like Mardi Gras or whatever because New Orleans I guess and you're like racing in the city and and the 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 gay character goes Wow, New Orleans is such a cool city. I can't wait to come back and visit during Pride Month. Uh, playing into the Vin Diesel bad acting and all that, it's just like, 
the voice acting is so bad, the writing is so bad that it's not like, oh, this is bad, you shouldn't play it. It's like, oh, this is bad, you will be thoroughly entertained. It's just so fucking funny. It's so cringy. The the acting is terrible. The writing is terrible. The characters are just un, un, uh, completely unmemorable in any way. Um, but I, I don't regret playing this game at all. I had a blast with it. I thought it was so good <laughs> um, in, in its own way. See, games don't always have to be compelling. You don't always have to love the characters, love the story, love the gameplay, think it's a next-gen boundary-pushing, open-world, hyper-XD, 8, 8K, ray-tracing game. Like That bullshit doesn't matter. What matters is if a game is fun and entertaining and uh, Fast and Furious Crossroads is that. Surprisingly, the gameplay is not broken. The gameplay works. You know, it's got some combat shit, which is fun. Some cars have, like, fucking crossbows attached or guns or, like, spikes and shit. And there's, like, some burnout kind of combat in it. And then the racing is, like, slick and slippery, but somehow, like, kind of easy to control. All the cars kind of handle the same, but that's okay. It's still fun. Like, it's it's a good four hours. I can't get any of the online achievements, though, because, like, there's literally zero people playing online, so uh, that fucking sucks. And then lastly, the the final game I played this weekend, this is, I guess, kind of a shocker, at least for me it is, uh, Modern Warfare 2019. I don't I don't know why. Uh, I, I finished that battle pass on Halo, and I was like, I kind of want to play a competitive shooter, but uh, let's see what else there is. And I haven't played Modern Warfare 2019 in a while, so I was like, you know what, let, let's see what happened. And I gotta give this game some credit, because what I first did was I jumped into Vanguard, I played a match or two, then I jumped into Black Ops Cold War, which I love, and I played a match or two. Then I went into Modern Warfare, and I played for the rest of the weekend, really. And I know it's like the the untrained eye, or for someone who's like kind of out of love with Call of Duty or fatigued on it, and I think those are all reasonable takes, because Call of Duty is definitely a franchise that's overstayed its welcome in a way, and warranted fatigue, and for people to just kind of be fed up with it, I, I respect that, I get that. But for as someone who has been in recent years, because I took a break on Call of Duty for a long time, but in recent years, I've come back to Call of Duty and played it pretty regularly. I got to say, playing these three games back to back to back, you can't argue that Call of Duty is just a reskin of the same shit every year, because especially in this new era, this new Modern Warfare 2019 kind of next generation of Call of Duty that we've been experiencing lately, this Warzone era Call of Duty, although there are plenty of criticisms I have with these newer games, these games have very distinctively separated themselves to me. Like, when I play these three games, Modern Warfare 2019 feels very slow, very methodical, very tactical compared to other Call of Duties. Black Ops Cold War feels super classic, running gun, just no no thinking, just shoot, just aim, shoot, run around, try to be the quickest one to pull your gun. You're going to have a good time. And then Vanguard is like this perfect in-between of the two games where it's like it has a lot of the tactical options and elements that Modern Warfare 2019 introduced, but it's like that gameplay sped up times 10 kind of in the way that Black Ops Cold War is done. So I, I don't know, but like as a Call of Duty fan and as someone who's been playing a lot of recent Call of Duties recently, I, I, I got to say like these three games feel distinctive enough in terms of how they operate and how they play to where I can see why someone is like, oh, I love this one, but not this one. You know, I can see why there are so many people who love Modern Warfare 2019, but don't like Black Ops Cold War or who like Black Ops Cold War, but don't like Vanguard. Personally, I actually think all three of these games have really good multiplayer. Modern Warfare 2019 was by far the worst one multiplayer-wise for me, 
but that was because I played the game at launch, and I think that game was completely fucked at launch from a multiplayer perspective, although I love the campaign. I think they've done a really good job with all the adjustments and buffs and nerfs and tweaks and new maps introduced and new ways they've just adjusted the game over the years, because Modern Warfare 2019 online plays way better today than it did in 2019 when the game first came out, and I took a big break. Like I basically played it like crazy the first month it came out, beat the campaign, played the multiplayer, got fed up with the multiplayer, and swore off it and didn't really come back to it for a long time, like at least a year. But, you know, during that game's lifetime, I really think they turned it around and, and fixed all the issues I had with it. And, I don't know, right now I'm just kind of on a Modern Warfare. Like, I, I prefer Black Ops. I think Black Ops Cold War is the best Call of Duty in a very long time, easily since Black Ops 2, so, like, almost in a, in a decade. But Modern Warfare 2019, is, it's hitting the spot right now. That's the one I'm enjoying playing, and... Even though I, I think Vanguard has a terrible campaign and completely unlikable characters and overall is not a great Call of Duty, I think even Vanguard has pretty fun multiplayer. So, I don't know. I just want to give a shout out because uh, I know, you know, even people who do like Call of Duty are kind of divided on which one's good and which one sucks. And, and then there's the other contingency, which is just people who hate Call of Duty and don't want to hear about it ever again. I'm here to say I think all of these games are good in their own ways and have their own merits, and I just want to... No, as, as someone who's always been a Black Ops guy, you know that. Just want to say shout-out to Infinity Ward, shout-out to Modern Warfare 2019. I've been playing that game this weekend, and it's good shit. In some ways, I uh, undervalued and underestimated it, so I just want to give it some credit. Just uh, put some positivity out there, right? All right, guys, so that's it for what I've been playing. That's it for all the opening shit of the podcast. We're an hour in. We haven't even gotten to the news. That's the exciting part. This podcast goes on for hours and hours and hours, and you don't even know because next you, j- you just get in your car, you're going home from work, you get stuck in traffic, and then you just listen to my bullshit meandering for two plus hours, and you go, hey, I'm home. Next thing you know, podcast is over, you're home, it's Friday, baby, take off your shirt and go run around the house and say, it's Friday, baby, it's Friday, baby, while you wait for Uber Eats to bring your chilies to go. It's going to be a good time. Let's get into the news. All right, so let's just jump right into the news, our first story of the week, and this is a really exciting one for me personally. And Wait, we're relaying it from Windows Central, not VGC, so there's something different. Guys, Uncharted director, I know, Uncharted PlayStation, not PlayStation related, shut up. Uncharted director Amy Hennig is getting a second shot at working on a Star Wars game. Developer and publisher Skydance New Media announced on Tuesday that the team is working with Lucasfilm Games on a Star Wars title. The title is described as being a richly cinematic action adventure game that will tell an original story in the Star Wars universe. Quote, I've often described how seeing Star Wars in 1977 essentially rewired my 12-year-old brain, shaping my creative life and future indelibly, said Henning, president of Skydance New Media. Continuing on, I'm elated to be working on Lucasfilm Games with Lucasfilm Games again to tell an interactive stories in the galaxy I love. End quote. The market... This marks the second major game Henning and Skydance New Media are working on. Back in 2021, Skydance New Media announced that they are working on a AAA Marvel game. Hennig previously worked on a Star Wars game called Project Ragtag and now defunct Visceral Games under Electronic Arts. The project was canned back in 2017 and the studio was closed. In 2021, Disney revived Lucasfilm Games as a publishing brand, partnering with various developers on different games under LucasArts' uh, portfolio, including Star Wars titles. Quote, We could not be more thrilled to work again with a Amy, she and Skydance New Media have been uh, have the talent and ambition to create unique Star Wars adventures, said Douglas Riley, VP of Lucasfilm Games. Their vision for making inviting cinematic interactive and entertainment makes interactive entertainment makes this collaboration very exciting. We're working hard with the team of experienced and talented developers, and we're looking forward to sharing more on, with Star Wars fans when the time is right. Multiple Star Wars titles are currently in development as of now, including 
three under EA owned Respawn games, uh, a game being developed by Ubisoft, a remake of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, and Quantic Dreams' High Republic game Star Wars Eclipse. So lots of Star Wars. Okay, you might be thinking, Jesse, you're so tired of Star Wars. Why has this got you so excited? So I gotta be honest, obviously, I'm a big Amy Hennig fan, so that's the first thing. I, I think the original Uncharted games, the PS3 trilogy, Uncharted 1, 2, and 3, are incredibly important games, uh, I think, of that PS3, Xbox 360 generation. Those three Uncharted games are probably, while, while definitely not even close to my favorite games of that generation, because, I mean, fucking, we're talking about the fucking Halo 3 generation of video games. Those games are, are definitely, in my opinion, some of the most uh, important video games to come out of that era of gaming. And Amy Henning was the writer on on those games. She she worked at Naughty Dog for a long time, wrote Uncharted, um, and then left after the third one, after basically writing a writing the fourth, and then it was scrapped, and then they rewrote it, whatever. She, she was eventually off the fourth game. But Amy Henning, really important part of Naughty Dog for a long time, has a lot to do with helping take Naughty Dog from a developer that made really fun action-adventure kitty games into making really really cinematic awesome storytelling games and kind of bringing storytelling in gaming into this like new era of being able to tell really compelling really cinematic really high quality engaging stories so i have a lot of respect and admiration for her but the thing is amy hennig really hasn't gotten to do much in gaming in quite a while she's she kind of fucked off for a while she bounced she bounced over to ea and worked with visceral on Ragtag, which was that that Star Wars game that people were super excited for, that Visceral, the, the developers of the original Dead Space games, were working on, and we knew it was going to be a third-person, story-driven game, and we knew it was really cool. It was like this, basically, it's codenamed Ragtag, is you're working with like these kind of basically nobodies uh, in the Resistance and kind of their underdog story, rather than just telling another game about fucking Luke Skywalker and lightsabers. And it, it was shaping up to be a really cool game. And then EA canned it because EA was going through a fit during that time, just making crazy shit go bye-bye. Anyway, so we haven't really gotten to see her do much of anything in a long time. I think she went, didn't she go to Google for like a little bit or something like that? She she fucked off and jumped around a couple places and really hasn't put out a game in a long time. Apparently, she she's also working on the game Forspoken, which is coming out in a few months. Uh, that's a PlayStation 5 exclusive from Square Enix, and it looks a little, a little, um, I'll say a little divisive in terms of how it's looking from a story perspective, but we don't know the game's not out yet. But anyway, she, she hasn't really put out a product in a very long time, and people have been very keen and curious to see where she's going to end up, where she's going to go, what she's going to do next. And so we've known for like a year or so, I, I guess it's been that she's, she's at Skydance New Media, which really, you know, it's a movie studio, but they're, they're getting into gaming. They haven't really done too much in, in the world of gaming other than that um i guess the most notable thing they did was they they released that walking dead saints and sinners vr game which people actually really like I, i've i've been meaning to get around to that but they haven't really done much in the way of like triple a games yet and so we know they're working on a marvel game and we know they're working on a star wars game but to know that amy hennig is once again getting the keys to star wars going to apply that super high triple a quality immersive storytelling kind of high quality writing to the Star Wars universe again has me excited because I, I really think this is someone who has the chops to tell a Star Wars story that I'd actually be invested in that would be actually be unique and interesting and that people would widely accept and, and enjoy much in the way I guess that people really liked Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order but I think maybe even more so because she's she's really high quality talent I really don't think she's just going to make another fucking Luke Skywalker everything's about Anakin and Skywalkers and lightsabers like every other Star Wars thing I think she might actually tell an interesting story in the 
Star Wars universe. So I, I'm really interested in this. I'm really excited for this. This is kind of the good thing about what we're seeing with Star Wars, which is now that they're not contractually tied at the hip to EA. We can kind of see them do a whole mess of new projects, work with all new teams, all new publishers. And that's why we have so much Star Wars in the pipeline right now between, you know, as, as the article mentions, we got EA and Respawn are still working on three new games. We know one of them is Jedi Fallen Order 2. We know that we're getting that remake of Knights of the Old Republic. We know Quiet Dream is working on that High Republic game that's probably many years off because of staffing issues over there. But this is, uh, oh, and, and isn't, uh, what do they call Massive Entertainment or Super Ma- It's Massive Entertainment. The guys that make uh, The Division, the Ubisoft team, they're working on a Star Wars game. So we've got lots of Star Wars in the pipeline. So it's not like, oh, we need another Star Wars game. But the reason this gets me excited is because if there's anything Star Wars related for me to be excited about, this is it. Because Ragtag was a game I cared about. And what was the other one? 1313, that other canceled Star Wars game. That was a Star Wars game people were excited about. And it's been a very, very long time since we... Um, since we thought these games were coming and before they got canceled and all that. And so to see that in some way where, you know, this isn't confirmed that she's making Ragtag and that it's being revived, but knowing that she was far along in that game, she was very invested in that game, she was very happy and excited to be working on it, and then it got canned. Now that she's got the opportunity to make a Star Wars game again, you can't help but think she's probably going to revisit some ideas from Project Ragtag. She's probably going to encourage some people from who used to work at Visceral to come work with her at Skydance New Media and, and maybe work on a project that's at least in some ways spiritually related to Ragtag. And I, I, even though this probably isn't going to be a revival of that, I mean, legally they probably can't do that because EA owns that project, this is the closest thing we're going to get to ever seeing that project see the light of day. And that has me very excited. And so I'm very curious about this. Now, we're probably years away from seeing it. We're probably even more years away from it being released. But just knowing that Amy Hennig is getting another crack at Star Wars, knowing that maybe we're going to see some ideas and concepts from Ragtag reappear in this new project, and that in some way that, that game will get to live after all, that has me very excited. So despite my overall fatigue with Star Wars, we're getting some Star Wars stuff I actually care about. I'm curious about this uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi show. This game looks good. That um, that High Republic game from uh, Quantic Dream sounds really good. You know anything anything Respawn Entertainment does is good. So I'll be excited for their Star Wars games. It looks like uh, some we got some decent Star Wars content on the way. I'm pleasantly surprised and happy to say that. All right, next up, this is probably the story that garnered the most controversy uh, from what I've seen this week and. Maybe my maybe my take is a little more tame than what you would expect from me, but let's let's see. VGC reports that Microsoft is reportedly exploring integrating advertisements such as billboards or posters for real products in its free-to-play games. As reported by Business Insider Paywall, transcribed by VGC, the tech giant is looking into further opportunities for developers to profit. Quote, One of the sources speculated Microsoft isn't currently interested in collecting a cut of ad revenue because it wants to provide more money making opportunities for developers and to make free-to-play games, the publication states. Microsoft is said to be aware that this may cause a bad reaction in some players, especially due to the stigma free-to-play games currently have regarding microtransactions and revenue streams. Quote, it's it's moving cautiously and intends to create a private marketplace where only select brands can insert ads into games the way it does, uh, in a way that doesn't disrupt the gameplay experience, said two sources of Business Insider. Business Insider claims that sources have told them early plans to integrate these advertisements include things like digitally rendered billboards and car racing games. Insider was unable to learn if xbox was also offering types of in-game in-game ad units like avatar skins and video ads 
or video ads that play in game lobbies inside. Insider was also unable to determine if Microsoft has pitched the Xbox offer to advertisers yet. Conceptually, selling games in-game advertisement space is nothing new. In 2008, the then-Democratic president nominee Barack Obama used Burnout Paradise to run advertisements for the upcoming election. I actually don't remember this, uh, side note. Continuing on, uh, while it's less common in, ga- in most games uh, in the modern era of gaming, racing and sports titles are fully advertised. Uh, Sorry, are full of advertisement billboards and real products, typically as a result of real-world marketing agreements. 2K's NBA series includes a long list of products advertisement as part of their ongoing deal with the basketball uh, balling authority. I didn't know that was a thing. Basketballing authority. I can't believe that's a thing. Uh, the advertisements are updated throughout the season. So, yeah, I, I generally... See, here's the thing. In theory, the concept of this, I don't really have a big issue with. It's it's what could be made of it that has me weary. And I think that's probably how most people actually feel. I know a lot of knee-jerk reaction. This is like, oh, fuck, they're ruining gaming. Uh, free-to-play, there's ads are ugly. It's, uh, it's going to be everywhere. It's like, yeah, I know. But I, I think this can be tastefully done. The bigger concern is those who are willing to abuse the system and not have it tastefully done. So if there is a curation kind of process where someone's able to be like, listen, as long as this is done in a non-egregious sense and, and there's some kind of entity that can build a set of guidelines to define what would and wouldn't be too far to kind of allow onto a platform, then I, I'm okay with it. You know, if Microsoft were like, listen, these are our guidelines for what kind of advertisements can be in free-to-play titles that will allow us to allow your game to be on our platform, Maybe I doubt they'll be that stringent about it, but if they were to do something like that, I would especially feel comfortable with this. But in general, I don't hate the idea. You know, we see adver- we see fake advertisements in games all the time, right? You think about like when you're playing, like I was playing Sonic Generations on stream this week, right? And when you're playing the city escape level from Sonic Adventure 2, you see billboards for fake movies, right? You see a billboard for chow in space 2 you know the little chow from sonic in space 2 like it's a cute little fictional non-existent movie cute that stuff is fun because it like adds it adds a little bit of a gag it adds to the the fun sonic themingness of the of the universe that they built there but also it's like i think there's a way to tastefully do that right for example if i had been playing sonic generations and instead of the billboard being like, here's an ad for fake movie that would exist maybe in the Sonic universe, and it's kind of cute and funny and tongue-in-cheek, which I, I like, you could do it in a tasteful real way where it's like, here's an advertisement for another Sega game. You know, here's Sega advertising Fantasy Star Online 2 or or something like that, or Yakuza Like a Dragon. And I would be like, you know what? That actually works for me because it is Sega advertising another Sega game in a Sega universe, especially as someone who grew up playing like the Sega Dreamcast. Sega used to have a lot of that like cross synergy with their brands and do things like that. So it kind of feels on brand and a little bit nostalgic for me in a way. There's one example. The other example is the one the story obviously brings up. I think everyone could pull this example out of their ass because we've all experienced it. You play a racing game. You play a fucking Forza game, right? You see on the racing track, all the walls are covered in advertisements for like Xbox or or Gears of War or something like that, like advertising other Xbox properties, kind of like what I was literally just talking about with Sega, right? That's normal. We don't see that as weird, but it's like, would you feel weird about a real-time ability to change and replace the advertisement where like, I don't know, let's say it's like, Here's a promotion for the new Marvel movie. It's a Marvel um, uh, Punch Kickers uh, 7. And and you see the advertisement for it. And you play the game of the year 2023 when Marvel Punch Kickers United is about to come out in theaters and everyone's about to see it. It's about to get $2 billion in the box office. You're like, oh, cool. There's an ad for a movie I was probably going to see anyway. 
kind of timely, kind of makes sense. But then, like, you know, six months later, that movie's no longer relevant. And now the ad is for, like, I don't know, fucking uh, some new Xbox game or maybe, like, some, like, promotional thing where it's like, oh, uh, play, uh, drink Mountain Dew and unlock Gamer Score for Halo Infinite Season 7 or something like that. And you're like, okay, that's kind of cool. It's kind of on brand, whatever, right? The the, the instances where I don't want to see it, like, we, we can all imagine that and be like, okay, that's kind of cool. That's kinda, that kind of works, whatever. It doesn't really detract in your racing game where you can imagine like a billboard or an advertisement for like a product because that's kind of it kind of adds the realism of it right you expect if i were on a racetrack in real life driving around the racetrack you might see billboards or advertisement for sponsors or products because that's a real thing that happens in real life it adds the realism so much in the way you want your fucking racing video game to be realistic and have recreations of the game of the of the cars you're driving in and like recreated environments where the trees look realistic and the license plate on your car looks just like the license plate from the respective state you have on there and the audience looks realistic and they're cheering for you and the weather effects and the rain effects are real just like how you want all of that having a real product placement could add to the realism and the experience and the immersion so i, I think it could be useful you know as long as it's not like oh here's a fucking ad for um betterhelp.com or fucking dollar shave club or uh, an, an ad for um an ad for old spice deodorant like that that's where it can get into a little bit of like the uh eh, maybe but as long as it seems kind of like within within brand i i, I kind of don't have an issue with this the only way i do have an issue with it is where it's something where it's a game that's like super fictitious and super whimsical and charming and then you try to impede on that charm and whimsy a little bit by having like real world shit rear its head so again going back to sonic generations if i were playing sonic generations and instead of the billboard being like here's a cute little fictional movie that's like in the sonic universe it's cute it's a fun tongue-in-cheek thing or instead of it being like here's an advertisement for another sega product in the sega game which kind of makes sense what would upset me is if i were playing sonic generations and the billboard were like old spice or the billboard was like fucking turbo tax you know if i'm running uh, rolling around at the speed of sound got places to go gotta follow my rainbow and at the speed of sound i pass by a billboard that reads get your taxes done in one easy click with turbo tax online i might be like okay that's detracting that sucks that sucks even though it's not a mobile game. It's not making me stop the fun and watch a 20-second ad or pay 17 Kyber Crystals to skip the ad, even if it's not doing that bullshit. I don't want to see Old Spice deodorant in TurboTax impeding on my cute little whimsical anthropomorphic hedgehog-based platformer game because those two things are at odds with each other and it detracts. I don't want that. And I think that's where people's fear lies is that's what people think is like, oh no, I'm going to pay $60, $70 for this game and I'm going to want to jump around New Donk City as Mario and throw my hat around and take control of a fucking fire hydrant and run around New Donk City. But then you're going to make me watch a 20 second ad for Disney Plus or for, or for Hulu Plus or for Tubi. Goddamn Tubi, why always got to make me watch those ads, right? That's what people's concern is. I don't think that's what they're talking about. In fact, I think they're specifically talking about avoiding that kind of advertisement from happening, but just creating an additional revenue stream to help put money in the developers' pockets because I don't know if people know this. I know I personally don't know it because I don't work in the games industry, but it is clear as day from the way developers talk, from the way executives talk, and from the way insiders and media people who do have an idea of how this shit works that video games are expensive as fuck to make. They're risky as fuck to make, and we need to find ways to monetize this shit because if you don't want to pay more money for a video game, 
these developers and publishers need to find alternate ways to monetize these games. And so if you're tired of microtransactions and skins all the time, and you don't want your games to cost more than 60 bucks, something's got to give somewhere. And I think this is a potential avenue where it could be an everyone wins kind of situation. Because again, I think it's easy to address in racing games. It's easy to address in sports games. And it's easy to address in certain games if you have, uh, if you, if you have like a synergistic kind of advertisement. Like if you're playing an Xbox game and the ad is for something Xbox related, you might be like, cool. But here's the problem is it's like always, it's, it's, it's going to be such a case by case basis for every type of game you play. Cause like think about something that's like super realistic, right? Or actually better. No. Yeah. Think about, think about something, a game like really realistic. Like let's think about like Alan Wake, you know, like the next Remini game or whatever. Alan Wake two. If there's an ad, if you're in Alan Wake and you're in like this fucking like Pacific Northwest town and you see a billboard that's all like destroyed and beaten up for like fucking like some rental insurance company, you might be like, oh man, that state farm billboard that's completely fucked up in this, like in this, in this post-apocalyptic world or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Clearly, I don't play Alan Wake. You're like, oh, that's kind of like that's kind of like ambient and kind of you know additive, right? There's product placement in movies all the time that kind of works in that way. But again, if you're playing Halo and you're seeing an ad for Mountain Dew, you might be like, that's the Mountain Dew does not exist in the Halo universe. Don't do that to me, right? So again, it's got to be it's got to be tasteful. It's got to be specific to every every kind of game, and that's the problem. Is not it's not a one size fits all. You got to find specific ads that tailor to specific things and then you run into the whole issue of well what if this is a really successful way to make money in games and it, and then we see this adverse reaction where okay being able to make a realistic grounded in our world type game um, allows to allows for any kind of advertisement to fly. You can have an ad for TurboTax. You can have an ad for McDonald's. You can have an ad for Old Spice deodorant because it's a realistic game that's set in a real world setting. So nobody thinks it's weird when Alan Wake has that kind of advertisement. But that might incentivize people to be like, okay, going forward, we want to make games where these kinds of advertisements fit and make sense to make our game more attractive to advertisers. And it might start to influence the types of games that get made. Now, I think that's a little too in the weeds and a little too like tinfoil hat for us to like start speculating that far down the rabbit hole about how this will play out. We're way too far in the early hypothetical stage of, of discussing this topic for us to really assume any of that would happen. But also important to keep in mind, the, we're talking about, about multiplayer games, games as a service, games that evolve. So it, to apply to games that we actually play today, you know, the things I'm thinking of is like Fortnite, Warzone, Minecraft, Halo Infinite. And these are the things where it's like, I don't know. Like, can we can we slip an MLG advertisement somewhere in Halo Infinite and get away with it? You know, I, I guess these are the kinds of questions we have to ask. If we can do it tastefully, it doesn't bother. And I have a feeling that at, at the very least, when it comes to Xbox's first party lineup, they'll handle this tastefully. I don't think you're going to see a Papa John's pizza ad in Hellblade 2 Senua's Sacrifice. I just, I or Sen, uh, Senua's Saga. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. As long as they have a guideline, which is what the story kind of suggests and insinuates, is that they would have stringent rules about how to go about this. I feel like this could be a good way to get more money in developers' pockets, into publishers' pockets, help fund and back games and allow more risk-taking, while also not having to pass on that cost 
to the consumer. And that could be a good thing for everyone. Also, if you keep getting hit for ads for fucking uh, Old Spice deodorant, maybe take the hint. Clean your fucking armpits, dirty man. All right. Speaking of Sega, next up, Windows Central Relays. Sega appears to be working on a revival of Jet Set Radio and Crazy Taxi, two of the company's IP that go all the way back to the days of the Sega Dreamcast, arguably one of the greatest consoles of all time, top five for sure. If you don't agree with me, well, then you're just a tiny brain person and you shouldn't even be listening to episode 150 of the Xbox On Podcast. That's what the story says. I'm not making this up. According to a report from Bloomberg, Sega is developing a reboot of these two games as part of the company's super game business strategy. The super game program is Sega's plan for building massive online experiences on the level of Epic Games Fortnite. Per Bloomberg, Bloomberg's sources, the new Crazy Taxi has been in development for at least a year and could be released within the next two or three years. The report also notes that the game is still in early development and overall could still be canceled. The report also notes that super game projects led by Sega game chief Shiji Utsumi currently encompasses four games. Jet Set Radio and Crazy Taxi were both developed for the Sega Dreamcast, being released in the year 2000 for the platform, which ended up being Sega's final home console until it was basically spiritually continued on with the Xbox brand. Sonic, you best played on Xbox, we all know. Sega previously announced a partnership with Microsoft in the creation of Super Game Project, as the company will be using Microsoft's Azure cloud infrastructure to build its online experiences. Another upcoming title in the Super Games Project is the first-person shooter being built by a European studio widely believed but not confirmed to be Creative Assembly, a team primarily known for strategy games like Total War, Warhammer 3, and Halo Wars 2. The more we learn about this super project, this super game project from Sega, the more I get confused on it, to be quite honest with you. I'm, I'm significantly commu- confused. Now I am starting to wonder if this idea of Project Super Game and guys, apologies in advance for having to even bring this up. I wonder if this is potentially a Sega attempt at competing with like a Fortnite metaverse Facebook NFT thing. Meaning that what if Super Game, because at first we thought it was a specific thing, a, a Super Game. Well, what if Super Game was like one ecosystem, one metaverse, if you will, and within it, or contained a bunch of other games. That would explain the need for massive cloud infrastructure, a big massive online experience, um, multiple games being developed in conjunction, in conjunction, a reaction and a response to things like Fortnite, and somehow justify on top of all those big plans, the revival of one-time popular relevant games like Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio, which by no means are massive online games which are absolutely 100% kind of like cult classics or games that were popular for their time or games that are largely not really thought of or talked about today. So how would that really play into Super Game? How would that be a big, massive cloud infrastructure-backed AAA online experience to compete with Fortnite? You wouldn't just release a new Jet Set Radio game or a new Crazy Taxi game and be like, there you go, uh, Fortnite. The ball's in your court. We got Crazy Taxi. What is it? Well, they actually made a Crazy Taxi 2. I think they even made a 3 and 4 that were on like PS2. Uh, Crazy Taxi 4 or 5 or whatever the fuck it is. Boom, fuck you. There it is. Suck it, Fortnite. I mean, that's clearly not the intention. And I say this as someone who was raised on Sega Dreamcast, who has a deep-seated nostalgia for Sega Dreamcast, who absolutely adores both Crazy Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio. In fact, while yes, Sega Dreamcast games, I will argue that if you can find a full sit-down racing arcade version of Crazy Taxi, that to this day is one of the very best arcade experiences you can possibly have. Crazy Taxi is so good in our arcade. Uh, and Jet Set Radio is such, well actually the originals, Jet Grind Radio and then Jet Set Radio is the sequel that was a OG Xbox exclusive. Also fantastic games. I love Jet Set Radio. I would love to see that return. So don't get me wrong. 
seeing that there's a potential for these games to come back in any way, shape, or form makes me extremely nostalgic, extremely elated, or, or, elated and excited for the future of, of Sega. Don't get me wrong. But how do these games, which are not relevant today, which are definitely more single-player, small-scale, one-and-done kind of games or kind of games you play on your own by yourself, which really have no res- relevancy or, or don't really hold a candle to the likes of something like Minecraft or Fortnite or whatever. How does that play into all this? And that's why I I suggest that maybe, just maybe, Super Game has something to do with some big... Me- it's, it's a Sega world where you can come and exist and interact and play. It's a massive online multiplayer space. We're going to tie Fantasy Star into this. We're going to tie uh, Yakuza and Sonic into this. We're going to tie Persona into this. We're going to tie old games like Crazy Taxi and Jet Set Radio into this. You create a Persona. You create an avatar, whatever. You interact in this world. You can socialize. You can make friends. You can play games together. And it's all in this big, interconnected online hub space. You can get competitive and play your friends in whatever competitive game Sega has. This this shooter game being made by Creative Assembly. You can goof off with your friends and play Jet Set Radio or Crazy Taxi together. You can... Um, go questing together in fantasy star online too whatever it is but at the at the heart of it all it's all the all these projects are tied together by this project super game ecosystem metaverse thing where you can buy nfts and pay for in-app purchases with cryptocurrency because fuck yeah gaming is so cool fuck american currency you get why, why would you want to pay 60 dollars for dying light 2 when you could just give us your, your dogecoin that is more or less where my 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 brain is starting to think this project super game is and I don't love it. I don't hate it either because a lot of it to me, I'm like, oh my God, uh, is this like Sega in a way is able to return to the console space without having to release physical hardware? They can release a games as a service ecosystem platform digital space where I can go and exist and have my Sega ecosystem within this virtual space. And it's kind of like Sega's back, you know, Sega's making a brand, a platform again, baby. Like that, that kind of sounds appealing to me as a Sega fan. But is this something people in general are looking forward to? I No, I don't think so. Is this something that I think has a lot going for it? And it's like, watch out, Epic Games. This is going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. Like, I... I, I don't think so based on what I'm insinuating we might be getting here. But if what I'm insinuating we might be getting here is not indeed what we're getting, I really don't know what to make of Super Game, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm continuously uh, dumbfounded by the, this drip of disparate inf- pieces of information we're getting that all seem interconnected if you interpret it the way I just interpreted it, but completely unrelated if you try to make it sense of it in any other way. So this is more than ever before because I'm actually invested and interested in figuring out what the fuck this is. If any of you guys have a really cool take, a really interesting take that's super different from what I'm suggesting here on what you think Super Game is, whatever it is you think Sega's cooking up and working on, I, I genuinely would love to hear from you. This isn't like, let's push engagement, subscribe and like and leave a comment. This is like, no, please, if you have a fucking interpretation, please help me out. I would love to hear from you, the audience. But yeah, man, that's, that's that. I mean, that's all I can... Because we learned the other week that they were working on four games... Uh, four separate games that exist within this Project Super game. So I was like, okay, so they're probably working on like a tactical shooter or a MOBA or an RTS or a competitive hero shooter, you know, like, or a battle royale, you know, things that are popular and synonymous with games as a service and big epic online things, right? And then they're like, Jet Set Radio and Crazy Taxi. I'm like, listen, I love those games. I'm happy to see they're coming back you're not about to get a bunch of fucking Gen Z kids to be like, oh yeah, man, I can't play Fortnite tonight. I got to play Crazy Taxi. 
God, I mean, the fu- fucking dude, if you got the offspring yelling, yeah, 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 and then the fucking priest jumps in the back of your goddamn car and says, take me to KFC, and, and goddamn, I, trust me, I'll be a happy camper once again. I fucking love me some crazy taxi, but what the hell are they getting at here? And and if and if I am right about this is going to be a social, quote-unquote, metaverse cringe space where you can create an avatar, interact, and, and, and hang out with your friends and play all sorts of different games, and it's, it's a social space, that's great. But are titles like this enough to pull people in like that? Like, I don't know. It, 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 maybe it's a mix of the old and the new. It's like, hey, we'll get our inst- our initial install base by getting old Sega fans in the door but being like, here's more Crazy Taxi. Here's more Jet Set Radio. Isn't that awesome? And then they'll be the initial fan base and then they'll have the good word and, wish- and talk about it. And they'll get newcomers in and in and in and then we'll get the newcomers. Sorry, Google Assistant's talking. But maybe that will be like the kind of catalyst to get attention around this. And then like the new games, like the whatever the hell um, is being developed here by um, by Creative Assembly, maybe that will be like the hero shooter or the battle royale game to kind of get people like newer comers in the door. I, I don't know, but th- this, yeah, I'm, th- this is the rare example of like a story where it's like, I can't wrap my head around it, but I'm really excited and curious to learn more about it. I'm also a little cautious about it because we also have seen Sega start to warm and liken up to things like NFTs and, and shit like that. So listen, if this is just a whole bullshit excuse for you guys to sell me a Sonic Hedge- Sonic the Hedgehog NFT, if you're trying to sell me one of those fucking furry Amy like smut photos where it's like a deviant art picture of Sonic fucking Amy from Sonic the Hedgehog and you're trying to sell it to me. I'm not interested. That's not what I want, Sega, okay? That's not what I'm that's not what I'm after. But also, what the hell are you doing? All right. While we uh continue to chew on that, let's let's move over to Hideo Kojima, a guy who is just as confusing if not significantly more than literally anything Sega has ever done. VGC relays that Hideo Kojima's long-rumored Xbox project was still on a uh, was still on as of a couple of weeks ago. It has been claimed. It was reported back in April of last year that Microsoft was in talks to sign the next game from the Japanese designer best known for the Metal Gear Solid franchise. As of last July, it's been claimed that Microsoft and Kojima have signed a letter of intent stating that they plan to work together on a new Xbox game. This was indeed, as you'll recall, one of the big Xbox stories of last year. In a new update on his premium Giant Bomb show, Grub Snacks, transcribed by VGC, VentureBeat reporter Jeff Grubb said to the said that those uh, plans were still in place. Quote, as of a couple weeks ago, the Xbox and Kojima deal was still on, he claimed. The update was delivered amid speculation that Sony may have acquired Kojima Productions following Death Stranding's inclusion in a promotional banner for PlayStation First Party Studios, which was making the rounds on the internet, making lots of rumors happen. Grubb went on to say that this is not based on that information I had last year. This is more more recent than that. This is still on. He added, does this mean that PlayStation could not have acquired Kojima Productions? Not necessarily. Kojima founded Kojima Productions in 2005 under the control of Konami, where he worked there for over 30 years and created the Metal Gear franchise. After splitting from Konami in 2015, he reformed Kojima Productions as an independent studio backed by Sony Entertainment. Following the release of the debut project uh, Death Stranding in 2020, no, that was in 2019, Kojima Productions said that in October 2020, they were staffing up for a new unannounced project. Last November, Kojima Productions announced they established a TV and film studio based in LA. According to Kojima, its work will begin in earnest this year. At the start of the year, Kojima teased 
plans for the year ahead, including a radical new project with experimentation with video and radio. He launched a podcast later in February of this year. In March, Kojima revealed that the studio was relocating after five years uh, out of its Tokyo-based office, although the reason for the move was never specified. So there's your up-to-date reminder of everything Kojima in the past year or so. And an update according to Jeff Grubb that says, no, 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 he's still working on this. Now, there is a lot of speculation and rumor that Sony's about to make a massive announcement about a huge acquisition. Maybe by the time this podcast goes live, we already know what it is. I don't know. But the rumor has been Sony is acquiring Kojima Productions or Konami or Capcom. Those are the three that most people are speculating. I think if it is one of those three, it's 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 Konami. They want the Metal Gear franchise and and um, Castlevania. But God, I hope it's not Capcom. And if it is Kojima Productions, that that would be interesting because it does throw a wrench in this. Now. As the story even kind of suggests, just because Sony may be potentially buying Kojima Productions doesn't necessarily mean Kojima Productions is not working on an Xbox-exclusive title. In fact, you may recall Bethesda signed a deal with PlayStation to have two exclusive PS5 titles, one from Arcane and one from Tango Gameworks, and that's how we got Ghostwire Tokyo and Deathloop last year. That's how PlayStation got those two exclusive games, despite the fact that Xbox now owns Bethesda. So it could be possible we're kind of getting a scenario like that, but in reverse, where Xbox and Kojima have inked and signed and shaken on a deal to get a, uh, an exclusive Kojima Productions title for Xbox consoles, but... After that deal was made, Sony acquired Kojima Productions, and now they have this fulfillment to make this Xbox game before they can go and be completely independent for Sony going forward. That's a total potential. Now, that's, of course, entirely speculative until we know. PlayStation uh, um, PlayStation Studios did use the Kojima or the um, Death Stranding logo and, and art in their in their studio's logo recently, which is what sparked all this conversation in the, in the first place. I mean, listen, it's possible that they just use that because Death Stranding is a PlayStation exclusive and for no other reason, right? I mean, remember 2015 when Xbox One didn't have all that many games? And so every fucking promotional Xbox thing for the longest time was like Halo and Gears of War and Forza and Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider doesn't belong to Xbox. Tomb Raider's not an exclusive Xbox game. It's just that... Uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider was exclusive to Xbox for a one-year time exclusivity deal. But, you know, to the untrained eye, to the person who maybe doesn't follow the industry, no, you may have thought for a while there that Tomb Raider was an Xbox-only game, that Tomb Raider was owned by Xbox, because all the marketing tie-ins, there were banners with, like, literally a sliver of Mike, Master Chief, Marcus Phoenix, or, or uh, uh, yeah, Marcus Phoenix, the Forza car, and, and Laura Croft from Tomb Raider. That, I mean, that didn't mean, you know, Xbox didn't buy Crystal Dynamics um, from from Square Enix and they didn't buy Tomb Raider IP from Square Enix, you know, they, whatever. So it's very possible they're like, listen, this is a, this is a exclusive second party game Kojima Productions made for PlayStation. And, you know, we're in an era of PlayStation where we're kind of transitioning out of the PS4 into the PS5 and things have been a little slow. They haven't had too many big first party games in a while. I mean, obviously since Death Stranding, they've had the last of us part two and they've had like ratchet and clank rift apart and they've had miles morales and stuff and i know they just got horizon for Brendan west so maybe i'm not making a good case for myself here but death stranding is still a relatively recent sony game and it was re-released on ps5 last year and it is you know still a pretty recent thing that they put money into that was exclusive for their platform so it isn't all that surprising to think maybe they're just trying to advertise like, hey, here are the PlayStation games that represent PlayStation Studios, and here's one of those games that was exclusive to our platform. 
But at the same time, yeah, maybe they have acquired. We, we won't know. And, and I don't want to speculate on it too long because I think we're going to have our answer on that pretty soon. But I, I still think that and believe fullheartedly that there is something being worked on between Kojima and Xbox. I think it might be something smaller than what people are hoping for. I, I think it's very possible that maybe Xbox has worked out a, a B team kind of project with Kojima Productions to make a maybe couple like 10, 20 million dollar small project for like a two hour like indie type game or interactive experiment or some kind of, you know, it's possible that. Kojima's like, hey, listen, I, I got a lot of ideas. I don't want to just keep making traditional video games. I want to make this weird experimental game, this like kind of interactive thing, this more like hybrid between TV and a video game thing, kind of, I, I don't know, kind of like Quantum Break or something. Who knows? Kojima's a really all over the place kind of esoteric guy who has a lot of ideas and wants to do a lot of things. He constantly expresses his interest in movie and TV. So it wouldn't surprise me if maybe Kojima's like, hey, I want to do something creative and experimental. Sony doesn't necessarily want to fund it or back it. And Xbox is like, listen, this is a way for us to get you on our platform, give uh, our players some exclusive Kojima content, and allow you to flex your creative muscle and do something experimental. And so maybe they're just throwing uh, a couple tens of millions of dollars his way and saying, hey, make that experimental, small-scale, whatever side project. It'll be exclusive to Xbox. And then he's working with Sony on an acquisition or a bigger project or a sequel of the Death Stranding. I think that's entirely possible as well. Um, but I, I, I am still pretty confident that there's something going on between Xbox and Kojima. It's just a matter of when we're going to see uh, anything from it. Honestly, this summer, whatever they do as an E3 replacement, I think that would be an opportune time to talk about it. But uh, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up, this is one I don't have too much to say about, but it's kind of a notable story because it kind of flies opposite to something we've been seeing happen a lot since this whole COVID work from home thing. And this is actually a Bungie-related story. So VGC relays that Bungie has said the most current and future roles within the company will be eligible for fully remote work and growing number in a growing number of uh, U.S. states. The announcement comes in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic where everyone started remote work, of course. And CEO Pete Parsons of Bungie says, over the past two years, we've redefined how we work at Bungie. The transition to do work from home wasn't easy, but the result is a spark, or the results speak for themselves. Today, it's clear that the digital first workspace isn't the future of work. It's already here, and we are all in. Bungie said that developers based in Washington, California, Oregon, Illinois, Florida, North Carolina, and Texas are all eligible for remote work within the company. According to Bungie, talent source Matt uh, Purcell, taxes are... The primary, the primary reason only certain states are currently eligible for full remote work. Quote, we have to play um, withhold, we had to pay slash withhold payroll taxes, provide benefits, company, comply with state employment laws, etc. And it takes time and effort to get all that set up on a state by state basis. While the transition to remote work initially created significant development hurdles for some companies and contributed to a large number of game delays, two years after it became essential it appears that many studios have implemented systems which allow them to remote remotely work and for that to be a positive thing. Bloomberg reported that many developers and studios were adopting a fully remote work policy uh, last year, like when Ubisoft tried their hybrid approach, which seems developers uh, spending some days in the studios and some days at home. In fact, we've seen a lot of non-game developers try approaches like that as well. It's said that Sony's Spider-Man studio Insomniac has already changed its hiring policy to allow potential employees to work almost in any state. And also Respawn Entertainment, the team behind Titanfall and Jedi Fallen Order, were telling that each of their game teams can decide what fits their approach best. 
Some other big devs talk uh, taking a different approach. League of Legends Riot, for example, a League of Legends dev Riot, for example, has reportedly asked all employees as its as Los Angeles headquarters to return to the office. It was announced in January that Sony is set to acquire Halo creator Bungie, which was once owned by Xbox parent company Microsoft, in a deal worth $3.6 billion. So, of course, they're now a PlayStation-owned team. Now, I think this is interesting because Bungie is one of the quintessential teams, in my opinion, to exemplify the highest quality, massive studio, AAA, high-quality talent. And if they have found a way to make work from home not only doable for them, but preferable from them... I think this is telling of something we're going to see change in the games industry in a large way and have really big effects um, trickling throughout the entire industry. This is exciting to me because, unfortunately, the games industry has been somewhat somewhat of a, of a walled garden for many in, in for a long time and in a large way because game development game development is is this thing of like okay you want to work in game development okay you got to move to Southern California or you got to move to like Texas or you got to move to Tokyo or you got to move to fucking London like there are very specific cities and places throughout the world where games are made and of course there are always outliers like I live here in Orlando where like EA has Tiburon the team that makes Madden and we have Iron Galaxy which is a really prominent port studio that did like the Skyrim port for Nintendo Switch so like we ha we have teams here in Orlando right but Florida is not like it's an it's relatively up and coming for game developers but it's not you know it's not like Santa Monica in, 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 in like Southern California where you got fucking like almost every PlayStation developer under the sun and a lot of Xbox developers and a lot of like fucking Square Enix has a team down there and Ubisoft has a team everyone has a team in California right like California is like where gaming happens and this has always been really shitty especially as we get into this current time where we're talking about how development talent is is coming at a all-time premium where companies are paying out the ass to retain talent to acquire known talent and, and because because everyone is hungry for talent and there's a huge shortage of game developers and game talent and everyone is trying to hold on to their very best. Well, here's the fact of the matter. If you look outside the state of California, if you look outside Texas, if you look outside Canada, if you look outside the UK, if you look outside Japan, there are actually amazing developers all over the world in countries that don't normally get represented in the games industry. We can have the next Hideo Kojima, the next, the next Amy Hennig, the next whatever, you know, whatever these big developers that have their names thrown around all the time, right? We can have these developers come from anywhere. They can come from China. They can come from Korea. They can come from Sweden. They can come from, they can come from Germany. They can come from Mexico. They can come from fucking uh, Egypt. Who, who gives a shit, right? It's like there are really talented potential game developers all over the world. And it has been stifling and prohibiting on the games industry and therefore the consumer for us to basically lock out so much potential by being like, sorry, man, the games industry exists here. And obviously people have had roles in the games industry all over the world for a long time because a lot of things in the games industry have been support roles and remote work and things like that. But to have your core development teams now be able to stretch their arms and obviously we're just seeing the beginnings here where Bungie's even talking about how they can't even get all U.S. states on board that quickly. So like it's a work in progress, but we're seeing the the, the, the transition begin, right? Where one day we're not going to have this issue of like, oh God, game development talent is so limited because we got to find all the good guys in the state of California. It's like, no, I mean, no, like good people work. Hey, listen, I'm for hire. I live here in Orlando. Insomniac, 343. You know, I'm looking at like my favorite developers, fucking, hey, Remedy over there in Europe. Guys, if you guys, I'm I'm, I'm here, I'm for hire. I got, I got this. I don't know how to make a game, but I sure know how to shit talk for hours at a time. So 
I'm here for hire. And, and that's the point is like you're going to find great talent by expanding your search results to anyone anywhere and not being like, hey, you want to work in the games industry? You got to uproot your entire life, your entire family, your entire way of living. And come on over to California where you fucking, you know, uh, uh, $75,000 salary isn't even enough to, to, to afford a one bedroom studio apartment. Fuck you. Kill yourself. And it's like, God damn. Now we're opening the floodgates a little bit where it's like, OK, come one, come all. And this is this is what I love. This is democratizing the workforce. This is expanding things to be. You want to talk about inclusivity in the fucking workforce? God, expand expand game development outside the goddamn bounds of California. This is this is it. Now anyone anywhere, regardless, has a shot. You just gotta you know know your stuff and, and uh, I guess know a guy who can get you in the door. That's still probably a part of it. But anyway. This is exciting shit. I think I think this is this isn't like flashy and sexy. It's not like guys get ready. We're gonna get we're gonna be getting this new thing on Xbox pretty soon. It's called job applications, and you get to put in a job application and remote work for a fucking team in Vancouver. It's like no, but in the long run, this is going to make gaming better. It's going to allow a, a wider range of people to get involved in this industry. More a, a greater diversity of people who come from different backgrounds in all corners of the world to have their hands in gaming. And it's going to lead to a discovery of new talent, the likes we've never seen before. Obviously, it's not something we're going to see the effects of tomorrow. But long term, this is exactly the direction we need to be headed in. And in a time where we're seeing all these developers and publishers talk about, well, it's hard to find talent. Talent's at a premium right now. We need to delay our fucking Star Wars game by five years because we can't get enough people to apply for jobs at our studio. Well, hey, man. Expand your fucking search field out into the entire goddamn world, and I'm sure you'll find a lot more capable people. And hey, uh, might even be cheaper because uh, you don't have to pay them a million fucking dollars to live in San Francisco. All right, and we got two wrap-up stories. The first one here, <laughs> indulge me, this is for me a little bit. Uh, Sega finally given a proper reveal for the Sonic Classics collection titled Sonic Origins, revealing new information about the upcoming compilation which was announced last week, last year, but not really detailed until today when we got a trailer, which, by the way, watch the trailer because Hyper Potions did a new song for it. It's so fucking good. God, I love Hyper Potions. Go listen to them, please. They're so good. Each of the classic retro Sonic games included have a brand new opening and ending animations uh, and will include classic and anniversary modes. Now, classic mode will show the game in its original resolution and have it limited lives just like in the 16-bit Sega Genesis era. However, the new anniversary mode will give players infinite lives and will present the game in a new widescreen resolution. Thank God. Uh, Origins will also include missions, which will allow players to collect coins. These can be spent in the game's museum mode to unlock new content, challenges, and special stages. I, this is so exciting. Sonic Origins is a retro compilation which includes the following Sonic titles. Sonic the Hedgehog 1. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Sonic CD, Sonic the Hedgehog 3, and Sonic and & Knuckles. The compilation was originally announced back in May of 2021, but new information has been thin up until this week. However, with today's news, it isn't all positive, as there is some bad news regarding the compilation, which was revealed shortly after the trailer dropped today, or Wednesday morning. Sega have confirmed that specific modes, features, and even visual elements in the Origins Collection will be locked away as for, um, behind a premium editions or paywall in the new table of the game's official website on the game's official website. It was revealed that there are three separate DLC packs, which add new features while the standard $40 edition of Sonic origins includes the main game itself. 
Players will also need to start dash need the Start Dash Pack, Premium Fun Pack, and Classic Music Pack if they want everything the game has to offer. The Start Dash Pack is a quote free DLC that is included that is included the player pre-orders the game, while the other two packs are paid DLC. Now the Premium Fun Pack includes various missions, 11 of which, uh, 10 design letterbox backgrounds, new character animations, camera controls over the main menu, and other small features. The Classic Museum Pack includes the addition of music tracks from the Mega Drive versions of the game, the Genesis titles, and 73 tracks from Spinball, Chaotix, and Sonic 3D Blast. So tons of extras and goodies Sonic fans would love to have their hands on. Unfortunately, the only easy way to get all this DLC in one convenient place is to actually buy the Digital Deluxe Edition of the game. So unfortunately, it's not like you get all the content. You gotta kind of buy the Deluxe Edition to get all the good, good shit. Especially that Premium Fun Pack because a lot of Gameplay content is paywall behind that. Now, the standard edition of the game is 40 bucks, but the digital edition is 45 Meanwhile, the extra value of the DLC, that just makes it roughly $5. So it's not a huge deal because it's only 5 bucks more, but it is kind of shitty to kind of parse out and separate the game like that. Now, we've seen them kind of do stuff like that a little bit with like Sonic Mania Plus and with the deluxe edition of Sonic Colors Ultimate last year. So this isn't unprecedented. We've just never seen this much quality and quantity of content kind of paywalled like that. I understand they're trying to up the value and get more money out of it, but eh, I don't know that this is necessarily the way to do it, you know? Um, that being said, there's not much more to say about this. I'm very excited about this game. It's coming out, uh, what do they say, June... Wait. What the fuck is the release date? I think, it's, I think it's June 11th or sometime in June, whatever. But the game looks great. I'm very excited about it. And I think the big thing here, the reason why this is so notable, because I know some of you are like, big deal, they've re-released Sonic a million times. No, no, no. People's biggest complaint about the old Sonic games is that you move too fast in a narrow screen, you can't see what's ahead of you. By finally putting the game into widescreen orientation, I feel like that addresses the problem. Now you have a lot more landscape to see where you're running well in advance so you can react to, op to obstacles. This is really going to make the game a lot more accessible and easy to play, especially now that there's no game over if you play in the new mode. Um, and I think it's going to make these games a lot more fun for people to play. I, I know I'm going to enjoy it a lot more. I actually don't really enjoy playing the original Sonic the Hedgehog. I've only ever beaten that game two or three times, and I don't really care to go back to it generally. I like that game mostly for what it started and its soundtrack. That's about it. Now, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic CDs, Sonic CD, these are games, especially 2 and CD. Those are two games I love so fucking much, so I go back to them all the time. Sonic 2, I've beaten way too many times to count, but... Um, just having this this new, more accessible, more casual way to play the game, I'm more than excited for that, and I think this will be a really convenient and accessible way for newcomers to get into this. Especially in an era where Sonic is having a renaissance, the movies are making it big again, people are interested in the brand again. I love this. So make sure you download this, make sure you play this if you're a real expat, I know you will. And then our final wrap-up story of the week, guys, it is our new Game Pass content coming and leaving the service. So from Xbox Wire, let's get into this real quick. Coming soon, beginning April 26th, uh, Game Pass will be getting 7 Days to Die on Cloud Console and PC as well as Research and Destroy on Cloud, or sorry, on Console and PC. Now that's a day one Game Pass game. Now on April 28th, just a few days later, two more games will be coming to the service. Uh, that is Bug Snacks coming to Cloud Console and PC, which we talked about last week. is finally coming to Xbox from the PS5. And then Unsold Console and PC, which is a Game Pass Day 1 game. 
Unfortunately, it's now good news. We're losing a couple games. So on April 30th, the following games will be removed from Game Pass. Cricket 19 on Cloud Console and PC. Outlast 2, Cloud Console and PC. I've still never played that. I love the first one. Secret Neighbor, Cloud Console and PC. Uh, sorry, Cronky. I know you like that game. And then finally, Streets of Rage 4, Cloud Console and PC, which is actually, I hear, a pretty good Streets of Rage game. So actually some pretty notable titles there. Might want to get some time in with them if you're interested in those games before they're gone. But guys, that is it for all of our news this week. Now... We still do have our important enough news, stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion on our 150th anniversary episode. Now, there's a there's a handful here, so we'll just f- fly through them because I guess this somehow ended up being a pretty big news week. But VGC relays that Bethesda have provided additional details about their planned migration of PC to Steam games. Now, we already talked about how this was happening. Now we have more details. The publisher announced back in February that it's going to close its PC games launcher and move all of its titles over to um, Valve's Steam service. In the new update, it is confirmed that players will be able to start their migration process moving over from their client over to Steam on April 27th. And the instructions will be made available online at that time. Now, people have until May 11th to do that, but they are advised to begin the migration process as soon as it's available just uh, to avoid any hiccups. Uh, VGC also reports that a game trailer for Sojourn, a new Overwatch 2 character, has already leaked. The trailer was reportedly shown off in the game's Taiwanese YouTube page and then removed, but not before other players saved and shared it. And for those wondering, yes, Taiwan is a country. Uh, the video game focuses on a new Canadian character who's first black female, who is the first black female character in the Overwatch series and demonstrates her abilities, including her special railgun weapon. Next up, VGC reports that no more heroes will be released on Xbox and PC this fall. The Grasshopper manufactured title was released in August of last year for an, an Nintendo Switch, uh, but now has been confirmed to be headed to other formats. Publisher Xseed Games has announced that the game will be coming to Xbox Series X and S and X. Xbox One and PC. Next up, VGC relays that Cyberpunk 2077 has sold 18, a staggering 18 million copies since it was released in December 2020. The update was provide uh, the update was provided on Thursday as part of a Polish the Polish company's latest earnings result. And as of April 14th this year, the Witcher franchise has also shipped over 65 million units, including more than 40 million copies of Witcher 3: Wild Hunt. It has said that is a fucking crazy number in addition to that cd project has also revealed the upcoming cyberpunk 2077 expansion will include a new storyline next up vgc relays that the shadow run series is headed to modern platforms publisher paradox interactive shared on wednesday that the shadow run games are being bundled together for a port for modern har- hardware the collection includes shadow run returns shadow run hong kong and shadow run dragonfall additionally shadow run trilogy is coming to game pass at launch Shadowrun Trilogy is currently scheduled to arrive on June 21st and will be available on Xbox Series X, S, and 1. Next up, a film adaptation of the arcade Sega classic game Streets of Rage, lots of Sega this week, is now in development, according to a new report. Deadline claims that DJ2 Entertainment, the company behind the Sonic movies, is working on the project. A spec script for the project was written by Derek Kolstad, the main Man behind the man behind the John Wick franchise, it has been claimed. Sega has yet to confirm the project, but following the record-breaking success of the Sonic movies, it's likely Sega wants to continue to capitalize on bringing its classic titles to the big screen. Our penultimate one here is that Blizzard have announced the next World of Warcraft expansion, Dragonflight. Now, is this necessarily Xbox-related? I don't know, but they might own them soon, and maybe this will come to Xbox. I don't know. The upcoming expansion was revealed on a live stream this past Tuesday, which also used... To announce war, oh, sorry, which was also used to announce World of Warcraft Lich King Classic. So I'm sure old nerds will love that. And finally, 
VGC relays that Crystal Dynamics have announced Marvel's Avengers' next playable hero will be Jane Foster, the Mighty Thor. Following on the November PlayStation-exclusive Spider-Man character, Jane Foster will be available for all platforms, not just PlayStation, when she arrives on the game's 2.5 update. So fucking suck it, Sony. Xbox are going to play as Jane Foster, whoever the hell that is. Now, that's going to do it for all of our news this week, guys. As, as, as we round out the podcast on episode 150, I would like to go over briefly the new games coming to Xbox this week. So we head over to the Xbox Wire, and we see 11 new releases coming to our precious platform that you can jump into if you want to try something new. Now, none of these look particularly interesting, but nonetheless, let's give them a, sh- a fair shot and read about them. We've got Katana coming out April 19th. This is a strategy, puzzly, iPhone-looking game. Yeah, fuck Halo. Just play this. We also got Winter Ember, which is coming out April 19th. It looks like a top-down game that's a little too zoomed in, but there's a chicken, and a guy's sneaking up behind the chicken. I wonder if he's going to fuck that chicken. I hope he doesn't fuck that chicken. Now, Crush Borgs comes out April 20th. Looks like absolute horseshit, but maybe you're nostalgic for games that look bad. Looks kind of like a Game Boy Color game. Now, Liberated Enhanced Edition comes out April 20th. It's Series X and S Enhanced. It's Smart Delivery, and it's a black-and-white noir 2D limbo-looking kind of game with a little bit of cyberpunk, so maybe... Maybe it's enough combination of indie things that people like that will make it popular. MotoGP 2022 is out on April 20th. It's Smart Delivery and Xbox Series X Enhanced. And boy, oh boy, it's the next entry in the MotoGP series, which if you're into those, you're into those. Otherwise, you probably don't care. Deck of Ashes, April 21st. Card-based, turn-based game with a goth-looking chick fighting a creature. It looks like one of those things that like people who like spooky crap and horror... In, uh, in horror movies would be into because the girl like has a spider web on her and she's all like pale and she doesn't do sunlight so that's cool orbit.industries comes out on april 21st and the thing about orbit industries is it's optimized for the xbox series x and s there's this huge massive industrial technical looking platform floating out in outer space earth is in the background this is probably something wally is out there working on i don't know what the fuck that boy's up to these days lumote the Master Master Moat Chronicles out April 21st. I have no idea what the fuck I'm looking at in this picture, so I will just say lights. Speaking of lights, Lit, Bend the Light comes out April 21st. It looks like a little puzzle game, and it's available if you want to play it. Now, here comes the real good shit. Mokoko X comes out April 21st. Looks like some kind of anime arcade dating sim featuring 32 unique bosses and minions. Your goal is to assist the unlucky characters that need help from the weird bosses. Little anime girls, and they're giggling. And this girl's caption says, The fate smiles upon you this day. And the effectiveness is 22.65%. So I think I'm going to have to play that game. Now, Ayo the Clown comes out April 22nd. It's optimized on the new consoles, even though it looks like an iPhone game. It's a smart delivery title. And there's this little clown that runs around looking like, hey, download me. I'm free to play and I'll make you watch an ad. Ugh. I hope that um, this is what they meant by ads on games going forward. But hey, it's not free to play, so maybe not. Guys, that's it for all the new games. And now let's finally round out the podcast with our reminder of Games of Gold for the month of April. We've got another site available for the rest of the month. Hue available until May 15th, so download it now, you stupid bitch. Outpost Coloki X is no longer available. You missed it. Why did you miss it? And MX vs. ATV is available now until the 30th, so download it while you still can. But guys, my voice is shot. I'm tired. Why are we still doing this 150 weeks later? Why? Why? For 150 Wednesdays in a row, I've sat here in Xbox on podcast recorded. I, I could have gone to Cold Stone Creamery and gotten an ice-cold cup of Joe coffee-flavored ice cream with maybe some pralines in it. I don't know what kind of topping goes with coffee ice cream. It would have been good. 
would have been good. But here I am for the 150th week in a row talking about Xbox. I don't even have an Xbox. I don't even play Xbox. I've never even seen an Xbox. Are they real? I don't fucking know. I got an iPad mini. I use it to play Roblox. That's about it. But guys, thank you so much for the support. As always, please leave a nice review on iTunes, Spotify, podcast service of your choice. Subscribe on, on YouTube at Xbox on Podcast. We're trying to hit 1,000 subscribers. We're getting closer every day. Follow me on Twitch at Lightning Extreme. We're streaming every Monday except this Monday where we're going to be streaming on Sunday because I'll be out of town next week. But uh, that's that's going to do it for this week. Follow me on Twitter if you want to engage with me. I'm at Jesse DeRosa. You can yell at me, tell me why I'm stupid. Or maybe just be my friend. That'd be nice. I need a friend maybe sometimes. It'd be nice to have some company. But until next week, I hope you guys take care. Stay safe. Thank you for, thank you for celebrating this special occasion with me. 150 episodes. Really couldn't have done it without you. I know that sounds cliche, but I absolutely promise you. I, I mean, I, I could have done it without you, but it would have fucking sucked and I wouldn't have wanted to and I would have given up by now. So I'm letting you know the only reason I haven't given up is because you guys encourage me to keep going and make this worth doing and make this fun to do. So thank you so much for the support, for all the comments, for all the feedback and positivity. It's been a great deal to me. Here's to another 150 episodes. Hope you guys have a great week. Until next time, power your dreams. Peace.